folks. Hey, welcome on back to another episode. Now we get a guest with us today, and it makes our names not so cool, not so glamorous, I feel. Uh, Matt and Ray no longer have that pizzazz that it used to have, uh, at least for this episode. Uh, today we welcome the guest, Wild Trees, to the show, which uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We met uh, Mr. Trees, or if we get friendly enough, I can call him Wild by the end of the show, hopefully. And uh, I know he's big on the science aspect of things, which is really cool. Very knowledgeable dude. Uh, and yeah, so uh, without uh, any further ado, Ray, what do you say we pop into this? Sounds good to me. All righty. And for everybody out there, we bring in biologist. Wild trees. Greetings. Hello, everybody. How you doing over there? Well, good. Wild trees. Would you prefer to be called wild or Mr. Trees? Hey, you can do whatever variation makes you happy. <laughs> All right, cool. How'd that name come about real quick? That's not the birth given name, I'm guessing, on the birth certificate. No, you're correct. No, well... <laughs> Well, basically, about a year ago, I started a uh, my own YouTube channel. So if you just go to YouTube, type in Biologist Wild Trees, please subscribe. But it was about the paranormal. And uh, I'm a scientist, a biologist. I study life. And I work in uh, academic institutions. I publish research in academic journals. And I go to conferences. And any uh, any aspect of the paranormal is completely ridiculed by academic institutions. So I would probably, well, I'll tell you right now, I have several mentors, people that have taught me a lot, and they're world-famous scientists. They would be very ashamed of me if they knew that I study some of these topics. Yeah. Uh, so so I didn't want to use my real name to tarnish my uh, professional career. So the I name Wild, Wild Trees just kind of popped into my head one day, actually. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't have a brainstorming session. I was just like, that's the name I'm going to use, Wild Trees. Yeah. I like that. What's yeah. it mean to you? Does it mean anything special to you? Like, wow, is it like a like a always growing type deal? You know what I mean? You're looking at you different know what? ways. I have thought about it because people ask me, and it does mean something similar to that. Okay, yeah. there was a time when I was very sick, and uh, you know, I would go to the doctor's office and I would look at these trees. There's always there's trees everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But I would think about the tree, and I would be like, look, this tree, all it wants to do is not be a dead tree. Like there was another tree on the ground, and it was rotting, full of bugs. And I was looking at the live tree, and I was like, this tree that's alive, all it wants to do is stay alive and prevent itself from becoming this tree on the ground. Yeah. And then I thought about my own health, and I was like, well, I'm starting to lose hope here, but let me think like the tree. Let me just try to just prevent myself from being a decomposing corpse on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I looked to trees for inspiration, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The corpse and the trees tie in. Ray, Ray brought to my attention, I think maybe a year and a half, maybe two years ago, the how they're doing. Uh, they're planting people in the trees nowadays. Right. Like that's one of their ways to go. Oh, yeah. It, it works. I mean, you're giving, you're definitely giving back to the earth at that point. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, part of your, part of your, part of the matter that makes you up, you know, the stuff that people hug and kiss, mm-hmm. it will go into that tree. I mean, that tree will have you in it. It's just the way it is. So people can sit under the tree and they're kind of sitting under you. The white. Yeah. And the the importance of trees out there with the oxygen, which people don't always think about those things. But, yeah, it's very important to have them trees out there 
you don't want no, you know, Fern Gully coming to town. Next thing <laughs> exactly. you know, you're, you're in some real trouble. We don't want any Fern Gully situations or uh, Avatar, uh, James Cameron Avatar yeah. <laughs> situations happening with us. Yeah. But yeah, trees are very cool, man. I mean, there's a lot of them. They're, um, there's a lot we don't know about trees, uh, I think. There's a lot we can still learn about their root system, about how they communicate with one another about their personal lives. I do think trees probably have a personal life and maybe yeah. even dreams and aspirations. I mean, they have a dream. Their dream is not to end up with like a dead corpse. Right. That is their dream. <laughs> <laughs> so they do have dreams. And then, oh yeah, there was a short, there was a fun fact about trees, which is, I think, I think this is correct. I think sharks are older than trees. Okay. So we've had sharks on the planet longer than we have had trees. We've had plants for a while, but trees are a specific type of plant called an angiosperm. And we've had sharks longer. Then we have trees on the planet. That's kind of, That's a crazy thought. I never would have thought that. I always figured nature came, you know, we're all nature, but I always figured, you know, Mother Earth came before everything, and then eventually other things started to pick up. Yeah, well, there was, like, some of the most primitive plants on the world uh, are ferns. Ferns are very old. Mm. Uh, ferns, they look very old. They use them in, like, Jurassic Park movies. Mm. And also, uh, I study moss and lichen because there's little tardigrades, water bears in them. Tard- moss and lichen are also very primitive, very primitive plants, older than trees. Yeah. 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 The, uh, I'll say uh, one movie's tie in real quick. Now the happening, a bad movie, great idea. I always thought the idea of the happening yeah. was like a great story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where they, they, they kind of me, me and Ray on the show talked before, you know, that there's the earth is a living thing and it's like, humanity is almost like a cancer on the earth. So it will only make sense that eventually it would try to fight back and save itself from us. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I saw that movie in theaters opening day. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, so here's the interesting thing about saving the planet. I, I actually think that's kind of a wrong, I think we need to retire the phrase save the planet because I, I believe it's incorrect. Uh, the, the correct term, what people actually mean they mean save the humans. They're not talking about saving the planet. Right. They want to save the human race. Yeah. Because we've had, uh, we've had several mass extinctions on this planet. And what I mean by mass extinction is that almost everything alive has died out, except for a little bit of life. And it bounces back. It always bounces back. So if every living thing today were to die, if everybody we know and love were to die, and only a few bacteria would be around, Okay, that's okay. Give it 30 million years. The planet will bounce back. It's going to be fine. This is really about saving our own right. selves. Yeah. Yeah, the, the different ex- civilizations that have been lost in the mass extinctions and stuff is very interesting. I've been getting into that lately. Um, it's such a crazy... I mean, it's, it is what it is, you know what I mean? But it's weird and how the cycles of everything and, you know, like the comets that kill the dinosaurs, they, 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 there's, you know, they say that there's been multiple comets throughout the time that they, they oh, found yeah. different, uh, you know, whatever the, 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 the space dust when, when they have impact, whatever that is, they found that like everywhere, supposedly, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, uh, and when did you first get into that whole, the, 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 that, you know, with the, the dinosaurs? I know we'll start from the beginning. We'll start from the beginning right. here with the dinosaurs. <laughs> Very, uh, are you a religious man? Uh, no, I'm not religious, but I want to be. I want to have some kind of religion because it looks great. I mean, yeah, if yeah. I could buy in, if I could buy in, I'd be sitting pretty. I think I'd have a pretty good life, but I just, I'm having a hard time buying. Well, look, here's the thing right now. Um, are you, well, first of all, you guys, are you Christian or Ray? Are you Christian? Are you Christian? 
Uh, I would say yes, but a Christian would say no. Okay. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm born again Christian, but I probably don't live it. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, okay. you know, that's how that goes. And I question everything, so. Okay. Well, let me just tell you, look, because actually Christianity is actually kind of a badass religion. But uh, let me, let me tell you what's, what's, what I think. Okay. It seems to me that the Christian religion, the, the holiday we're about to celebrate, Christmas, what we're actually celebrating is the birth of an alien human hybrid child. Because I, I think the Christian God is an extraterrestrial by definition. Because if you look at Genesis, open your Bible, go to Genesis, read the first sentence. It says that he created the earth. That means that by definition, he's not from the earth, which is all it takes to be an extraterrestrial. I'm not saying he looks like a gray. I'm right. not saying he looks weird. I'm just saying he made the planet, so he's not from the planet. He's an extraterrestrial by definition. And uh, and then he impregnated a, a female, a human female, and he had a child. And that's what we're celebrating, the hybrid child. That's kind of badass. I mean, <laughs> if you take a look at some of the old old scriptures, and it's it's interesting, the reason people won't call me a Christian is I don't believe that uh, the Christ is the only way. Right. Um, but I do some studies and deep diving into old writings and old language. Yes. And uh, the Hellenistic uh, influence on Christianity is massive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, may, our words, democracy, this, that, a, lo a lot of our words. If you go back now, to the original... Hellenistic, what is the definition of Hellenist? Uh, Greek. Greek, okay, got it. Got it, got it, got it. But if you take a, take a look at the old writings and the, trans the uh, translations, you have the logos. Now, the translation when you're going into Greek is the word. And at the beginning of current Bibles, the word and the word was with God, etc. If you go into the old meanings of logos... Yes. Logos was the active, it's a verb, it was the active energy or active part of the God. So it's actually in the old writings there were two. There is, there is the God or the source of everything that simply is. Yes. And what all of this existence is, is the manifestation of or the energy of that brought into matter. But it's actually very different. You kind of compare it to in Native American, you have the creator and then you have the great spirit. Mm -hmm. Or you can have God and the Holy Spirit. Yes. One being an, one being an aspect of the other. Yes. So the active, the active creating part of the divinity is the logos, which is both separate from, but connected to. But we don't see that during the centuries, the different translations, the influence of different cultures. Right. They, they've kind of changed that around. The, the earliest, um, doing some old Hebrew studies, uh, the earliest translation, it was a word that is, it resembles a lot cuneiform from Babylonian times, etc. But um, the earliest translation of that but God is the everything. And that's the logos. The active, living part manifestation of God. There's only one source. We are the manifestation of that divinity. So if I start talking like that, most Christians go, no, Christ is the only way. No, it has to be 
but it didn't start that way. And I love to dig deep and look, where did it all come from? What did it all mean to the people at that time? Many were con- connected to the earth, to the environment around them and everything on a deeper level than we are. Yep. And that, that's where I go with my studies. Well, good. That, that all makes sense to me. I'm, I'm glad you have that outlet too and you're able to, uh, you're, it looks like you're trying to find a deeper meaning or a deeper truth in this religion. Um, when I say, okay, I believe, for instance, uh, Buddha. Sure. Okay. Um, at that time, Buddha was teaching much the same things as, as Jesus. Compassion, uh, love, respect. In society at that time, what was needed in that society was Buddha. Yeah. So that was, that was a manifestation of the divine through Buddha. Jesus was a manifestation of the divine through Jesus. So I don't say there's one way. Right. There's one source, but there are many ways. Yeah. Very cool. It's like, it's like the energy thing. You have positive energy and negative energy. And like, I, I kind of think the God thing is just overall this the, the good, like good in this world. And people throw different names on it for what they, their religion, but it's all kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? And, even when people do bad things in the name of their God, uh, I feel like it's a weird vibe where like they're, for, they're even though it's the same thing, like they're forgiven for their belief. You know what I mean? It's almost like a, like a kid deal where like they don't understand exactly what they're doing. So they kind of forgive them for it, even though it's like some heinous shit sometimes. Um, but it's all the outlook of like the people and what, but it's all the same kind of vibe I feel. Yeah. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, yeah I uh, one aspect I like about religion is I do like how um, uh, a lot of religions they teach interconnectedness. They they treat uh, that we should be together and help each other out. Now, the current thinking in biology, and I think it's true. I think it's valid. But the current thinking in biology is that every living thing on this planet has a a common ancestor. So another way of saying that it means that we're all blood related. That means that if I'm looking at a butterfly eye to eye, I'm actually blood related to that butterfly. We have a common ancestor. Mm. That's a really good sense of togetherness. Now, it's not hard to see why you're related to a caterpillar, you're related to a lobster, you're related to a bird. Have you ever noticed that almost all animals have this quality called bilateral symmetry? So that means that if you take a line down the middle, the left side looks like the right side. Frogs have it. Crabs have it. Why is that? It's because we come from. It's because we share a common ancestor. It's because we're blood related. We're all blood related. Yeah. You think that uh, reincarnation plays into that too, with us being one with butterflies and animals and stuff? People often will say, "Well, I hope to be re- reincarnated as you know yeah. a wolf or something." You know what I mean? Well, I think it's such a pervasive thought through human history that there has to be something to reincarnation. I, I personally do think there is an afterlife for sure. I have no idea what it looks like. I'm convinced something happened. Now, I'm because of this thought, I'm not scared of death. I don't want death to happen prematurely. But when it does come, the way I'm looking at it, I'm like, hey, I'm about to take an amazing vacation. I'm going to go somewhere cool. It's going to be. I'm not going to be scared about it. Yeah. So I do think there's an afterlife, and I do think reincarnation is is probably true in some aspect. There's got to be something to it. Yeah. How about the uh, concept that uh, this life is a dream? And when you die, you wake up to reality. 
I have heard of that as well. I have. I mean, uh, another similar thing would be that when we dream, we're waking up, and when we're, we're yeah, that could be true too. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that's a cool thought. That's a cool thought. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that thought. That came just in oh. time for the new Matrix movie to come out. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> Ray's getting a payoff to promote the new Matrix movie. Behind my back, Ray, I can't believe it. Cut me in like on to, some of that. To explore more of these thoughts, check out uh, Matrix uh, <laughs> Resurrections coming out this Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What was it? I was going to say something about uh, reincarnation. and uh, Oh, okay. I was going to think... Um, okay, look. For some reason, I think that UFOs... Modern UFO occupants, and I think fairies, traditional fairies. Uh, fairies, for, for example, fairies are still reported. They don't all look like little Tinkerbells. They're not all small. Fairies are actually human size, but they usually do look weird. They don't look like humans. But they're reported. I've collected fairy stories in uh, in the Philippines. Uh, about 50 years ago, something happened in the Philippines. and So fairies are everywhere, and UFO op- occupants are everywhere. I think they know something about the afterlife. They perhaps understand the afterlife. Perhaps they're able to switch between death and life back and forth. Because I always thought it was very, it was very curious to me that fairies would always ask you if you wanted to go to fairy, if they liked you, they would be like, Hey, do you want to come to fairyland with us? And fairies are also known to play tricks on you. Like they'll, they'll put glamour on something. You'll, you think you're eating a good meal, but then you, you realize you're just eating dirt and rocks. So I, I feel like they do want to take you to fairyland and they tell you, they tell you Fairyland is awesome, and I think it is awesome. But I think the thing they're leaving out is that the price to pay to get to Fairyland is death. I believe it's a type of afterlife. I believe fairies can probably navigate between back and forth. So they're like, hey, we want to get this human to go to Fairyland with us. Let's pump it up, get him to say yes. And I don't know, maybe they poison you or something. They choke you out. And then you wake up, and you're in Fairyland, but you're like, hey, you didn't tell me you were going to kill me. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it has that Pugawudgie vibe to it a little bit. They lure oh, yeah, people we're... off of the mountain. They, they, we got these pugawajis down by us, and like our focal lore, and they would uh, you'd see them in the woods, and they, you'd think they were friendly, and they would kind of get you to follow them, and then they would lure you like off a cliff, and you'd die, and like they would have your soul or whatever. It's kind of got uh, that vibe to it a little bit. It does That's just, so? Where is that? Where are you at? Right, you're up in. Uh, We're uh, Massachusetts, uh, okay. East Coast, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, nice, nice. You guys got oh, some good I... looks. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of thinking when you were talking. That's more like Peter Pan and Tinkerbell, right? It's the kids go to Never Neverland and they never come back. They do go to Never Neverland and they come back. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking of Pinocchio, the uh, that, that Pinocchio that, too. That uh, the island of uh, park they go to there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always yeah. thought about fairy. I always thought about fairies because there's all these stories about these young men. Uh, apparently, fairy women like strapping young men, and about these young men being propositioned by fairy women. They're like, "Hey, you know, let's hook up. Let's, let's, let's go off and have our life together." I always thought I would do it if I was if I was young, and if I was like an orphan, I had no parents. I'd be like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's go to fairyland." <laughs> oh, I will do it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, there should be a warning at the gates of fairyland. I feel. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's more of that that ancient. <laughs> These ancient things that in the woods, you know, since we got, you know, we got wild trees with us here, the woods, man, the most ancient of ancient, it was all woods at one point, you know what I mean? Right. And the fairies run the land and all these, these, these wilderness creatures and such. Oh, it must uh, have been so magical. Uh, my, my friend, uh, Zelia Edgar, who has a channel on um, YouTube called uh, Another Tinfoil Hat, 
she thinks, uh, she says something interesting, which I think is true, related to what she just said, which is that probably in our past, we had a much closer relationship to the paranormal. It wasn't fringe. It was like in your face every day kind of thing. And then that just kind of disappeared or dissipated for whatever reason. Yeah. I've seen something recently. They said we're like three, our beings are three, like we're, we're, we're conscious, consciousness, uh, spiritual being, and then like a physical being. Those three things kind of make up what we are. Which I believe it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah the, uh, I agree with you with, you know, death is nobody wants to die, but it's definitely been, it's, it's, it's less of a scarier thing doing shows like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what should, t- do you have a take on what you think death is? I know you don't really have, definitely nobody knows, of course, but do you have a take on what you think it might be? Yeah, and I have a, yeah, I do. And I, I think I have, a, I, I thought of a way, it's not, it's not easy, but I have mm-hmm. thought of a way to, be, to become immortal, basically. Um, let me tell you how to become immortal, then I'll, I'll get into death. So first I'll tell you how to, how to cheat that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it seems to me that the brain is the main thing you know, it's one of the main components that makes us alive and makes us human, a functioning brain, right? So, because a lot of the other organs can be replaced. You can replace your heart and your liver, your kidney. So I was just like, let me focus on the brain. Okay, so my thought is this. If we could, let's say somebody has a damaged brain. Part of the brain becomes damaged, which just happened. Okay, now the brain continues to function. But what if this, what if we did this? They're missing part of the brain naturally because of an accident or a birth defect. What we do as scientists, we go in there and we replace part of that missing brain with an artificial brain. And then we check to see if that artificial part has has, um, picked up and is actually responding. Because then what you could do is you could replace, slowly replace all of the original brain with artificial brain. Yeah. And then you have an artificial brain that can live forever. Um, is a thought that I had. Yeah. In the in the nineties on TV, they put a they put styrofoam in a kid's head who got shot with a shotgun. I remember. No, so any, anything is possible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's definitely some deep stuff, Ray. You got anything to say about that? I want to know if you get that brain replaced, am I going to be getting calls for your extended brain warranty? <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Probably. That's not- what, <laughs> What I, don't is want, the actual, I don't want someone else. Yeah. I don't want someone else pulling the power plug on that. You know, right? right. AT and T stamped on your brain. It's coming. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they pull the plug until you can pay the payment, and then they'll plug it back in, <laughs> put yeah. you in the locker. So. Does that mean if you're in a bad mood, you basically unplug and then have someone plug it back in? Right? You reboot. That might be. That might be fun. Imagine just unplugging yeah. from everything. Like literally unplugging from everything. Starting a new life. I don't like this one. Here, unplug I, me. I want the void. Give me the void for a few minutes. Okay, so what I think about death is uh, okay. Well, biologically, yeah. When you die, you know you're uh, there's a there's a lot of things going on in your body. Your body is not. You're not actually one person. You're actually trillions of small independent living units that True. all work together to keep you alive. I mean, you could keep yourself as a pet if you wanted to. You could get like a swab, swab your cheek, and you could grow some of your own cheek cells. And you could just watch it in a micro. That's you. You're a pet. You're your own pet. Anyway. Wait, you get the humoculus? You ever heard of humoculus? Yeah, I've heard of that. Cr- that's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so people used to think that the way, and this is actually pretty recent. I was surprised by how recent this thought is, but 
before people thought that, uh, you know, the egg fertilized, uh, I mean, the sperm fertilized an egg, and that's how we got humans or other animals, people thought that the sperm actually carried a tiny human inside it, like kind of fully formed, and then that's where the life came from. But yeah, that's that humunculus idea. Yeah. Yeah, scientists, man, they used to have some wild thoughts. (laughs) Well, they still do. They still do. And I actually think, I actually think, um, I think we're, we're past due for a scientific revolution right now, a worldwide scientific revolution. They've happened before. They have their reason for occurring and we're past, we're past due for one. Once we, uh, once it comes about, we're going to make so much progress. Mainly we do need to accept the paranormal. So many aspects of the paranormal need to be accepted and studied. That is the next scientific revolution. Um, but, uh, let me see. We're talking about going back a few steps. Uh, That's what I think. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Biological death to me, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of cells. One more thing I say before is that um, you should never feel lonely. No one should ever feel lonely, you know, because the, the truth is that there are trillions of living things, which is your body cells, and they all, they're all there for you. They all want you to live. They're all working hard every day. All your blood cells, your brain cells, your heart cells, your immune cells. Okay, unless... Unless you have an autoimmune disease, then some of your cells are actually trying to attack you, but whatever. Yes. The majority of your cells, they're on your side. You're not lonely. They, they want you to live. They want you to keep going. Trillions of little living things. So, okay, so biologically when you die, that does all stop. Everything I just said stops. These guys, they slowly stop functioning. They stop breathing. And then I guess the real thought is what happens to your thoughts, your memories, you know? That is where I think the afterlife comes. I, I guess, you know, there's a thought that energy can never be created or destroyed. It could only be transferred. Mm. So I, I do kind of feel that, well, see, I kind of had the thought also that thinking a lot about brains, I have the thought that, that human spirits or whatever, their life is just kind of floating around in the ether always. And it just needs the right antenna to catch it. And I think a lot of times brains are probably an antenna to collect mm-hmm. that that energy. So I guess in that way, I mean, I, I'm confusing myself here as I'm talking, but hopefully you guys still understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But, but maybe when you die, you know, that antenna is off, but the signal's still there. So maybe the signal then goes it, it goes out there. And tries to find the next antenna. And perhaps that's where reincarnation comes in. I mean, because mm. to be honest with you, like uh, this planet, um, it's constantly, there's, I mean, people know it's very obvious, but it's not stated very often. But at every second, there's countless deaths and li- lives happening every second. So that is to say those li- those deaths could be transferring over to a life. Uh, perhaps I've done that just, as soon as you went out, you came back in. Yeah. Again. Not even a break. Not even a little break. No break. And I know they need a union over there or something. Shit. <laughs> I like union. So the, uh, now you may know this. What is the actual percentage of the brain that we don't use? Isn't there like a certain percentage that we don't even like, un- like unlock? Well, I've heard, look, I've heard that as well. I've heard of that. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know the answer to that. I don't want to give misinformation. I've heard that, but I've also heard that that is just uh, uh, inc- incorrect facts. That okay. people don't say, but but here's what I will tell you that is true to that. Um, what I do know is true about that statement is that the majority of the brain's work is unconscious, and I think we can tap into it, and we don't tap into it. For instance, 
there's this technology called, I think it's called biometrics or bio, I don't know, something. Let, let me give you an example. Let's say you suffer from anxiety or high blood pressure, okay? Normally, you don't really have much control over your blood pressure or your heart beating. You know, like I said, you're, it's just happening in the background of your brain. But uh, scientists have shown that if you could buy these cheap machines, you hook up this machine and it shows you visually, like, what your heart rate is on a screen. And then by focusing in on it, you could actually make it go down. So in that way, you're kind of using your brain more. You're taking more control over from the unconscious. My friend Stephanie Quick, who Stephanie Quick has a blog called uh, Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box, Mm -hmm. if you go to Google. She told me how some people, I think, I forget what the condition is, but her doctor will give them a little card, and the little card changes color with heat. And it's supposed to... um, you're supposed to be able to hold the card and it's like a mood ring and you can see the color. And if it's a certain color, you know, you're too stressed or, you know, you're too agitated and you could actively try to lower it and you'll see the color change. Mm. So <clears throat> to answer you, I think that our, the statistic that people throw out that our brain isn't really that used. I don't know if that's true. What I do know is that the majority of our brain function is subconscious, but there are ways that we could make it conscious. Right. And we could have better control over our lives, our biology. We could have better control over our biology. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if that theory was true, it, it'd almost be like superpowers. I don't think people would be flying around, but like, you know, in certain situations with like psychics and such, they could just read your mind and stuff. I think maybe, you know, you pick, they say we're all one, you know what I mean? That right. maybe there's less of a, a wall up. Well, yeah. Communication I think that, and such. The psychic thing is the next thing that I was going to tell you about. So, yeah. Just through my research, I, I have also become convinced that psychic powers are real. Uh, basically, I think anybody can have psychic powers, but I think some people do have more of them. They're, they're more, much more potent. And I think the people who have it the most potent, they probably keep it a secret. And they probably yeah. use it to their advantages. Maybe they're CEOs of a company. Maybe they're, who knows? If you're, if you're super psychic, you know, if you tell somebody, you're just going to be scrutinized. You're not going to be believed and it's going to be bad. But if you, if you really are psychic and you keep it secret, well, then you could, you could do well for yourself. Now, I do think everybody can be psychic. I think the way to do it is to meditate. But, you, but that, not a lot of people do that because it takes time and effort. And our society does not value time and effort. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, being a psychic is really a bad rap when you think about it. You know what I mean? It has that. I remember in like grade school, uh, we had a, there was a family there that the, the parent, the mother, I believe, was a psychic. And uh, they, they, he, it was like they always thought he was like black magic, like he was the devil. Uh, he got me with the best zinger I've ever been given where I go, I go, how what number am I thinking of? And he says five cheeseburgers. <laughs> that was the greatest thing of all time. I was I had to give it up to him for that. That was the best. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, guys so, got a, you guys got White Castles up there, right? No, no white cat. No, Only frozen. We can get them at the supermarket, but we, can, oh, okay. we don't have any. Yeah. Damn. You got them? No, we haven't frozen too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the paranormal stuff. So when did par- the paranormal deal come in? Did you witness anything firsthand or interest? No, no actually, uh, no. It, it wasn't that way. And, you know, what I think happened to me is probably what happened to millions of American children. So... Uh, I was an early reader, so I don't know how old I was, but I remember as soon as I was able to read, I went to the library, <laughs> public library and the school library. And 
thank Satan for the librarians that work there because they always stacked a little section of paranormal books. They always did it. They didn't have to do that. I don't think anybody told them to. They're like, hey, let's put the school, let's put some weird books in here for the kids. So there was books about the Bermuda Triangle, Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, human combustion. And so then I started, so, I mean, I was a child. I just barely learned how to read. The day after I learned how to read, I'm like, let me go to the library. I was drawn to those books and I was like reading through them. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, this is not, a, this is not in the fiction section. I was like, this is in a nonfiction section. And then I was like, I was like, none of this is matching up with what I'm being taught about reality. And then that was the first indication that there's more to life than we're being told by mainstream society. And that's how I got interested in paranormal, by books, basically. Yeah. It, you know, it has that religious aspect a little bit where like throughout the, the weird thing with civilization, with religion, the civilization, there's certain been, there's certain times when people just erased religion. So that's why I don't really know what you can believe in our era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like in the same sense that that kind of fits into it too, I feel where uh, you just can't, yeah, it's tricky biz, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, going back to religion real fast, I just want to mention this, because, like, I think, I'm predicting my, my, my spiritual future. I predict I will, because I grew up Christian, so I, I predict I will start going to a Christian church, and I will be a member. And I believe I will always practice, I will do my best to uphold the principles of Christianity. But but still, in my heart, I don't think I'll buy it. <laughs> I don't think I'll buy the yeah. main. You, you have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's the one thing you got to do. And I just don't know if I'll be able to do that, but I'll do everything else. Uh, <laughs> he was the only one. Certain people think, you know, it was just his his era. You know, he was the he was that dude for his era, his little civilization type deal. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, you know. the The religion thing is weird because, like, there there's the community aspect, and you can get into it, and you can feel it. There's something there, you know. There's a positive yeah. thing there. It's been manipulated by man, which I believe even in the Bible it says don't trust man. You know what I mean? Which I think that that's kind of the craziest thing for me is like that whole the, the greed aspect with the money and stuff. And, you know, you take Jesus and, you know, take Jesus. And like when he was in on earth, you know, he'd walk around and, and preach his gospel everywhere. He wasn't like setting up in one hut and saying, you need to come to this hut and give me money to hear my teachings. Nowadays, that's kind of what it is. And I think it's just it's been manipulated, you know what I mean? Into like, unfortunately it's been corrupted, you know, just kind of, that's the way things go sometimes. You know, it's, it's so weird because human society is, is weird. It's really cutthroat. For example, uh, I live in a large city. I live in Houston, Texas. And I, I, I tell myself this, I went out today. Every time I go out, this is what I tell myself. I say, look, I'm expecting someone to yell at me today. Someone's going to scream in my face and someone's going to be so rude to me. And, I pro- and I'm like, I probably won't get assaulted physically, but I will be disrespected because that happens all the time. And, and I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be like clutching my pearls. So now when it happens, I'm like, well, I expected this to happen. This is what's happening. That is to say that human society seems to be pretty rough. But then I think about, I think about animal society. I'm like, look, animal society is actually rougher because let's say you're a rabbit. You wake up for your day. Well, it's possible that that day you may be eating whole. Somebody may eat you completely whole and you're just dead. So that doesn't really happen in human society. We do have lying and we have corruption and, but, and we do have murders. But I mean, (laughs) the law of the land in in nature, like I said, it's like people that you're just eating everybody. There's no discrimination. There's no laws. There's just, you just eat wherever you want to eat. So Houston is the home of the ghetto boys. Much respect to that. 
You know what I mean? Gotta love that. Love Ghetto Boys, Bad Pads. Love um, Shopped and Screwed. Yeah, the whole movement. It's good. It's good. Yeah, I I don't know what part of town that is. I'm not in that part of town. I need to go around that part of town to hang out. I don't know about that. If if (laughs) if you could get trouble in regular parts, you might not want to go deep deep into the into the dirty. You know know what's funny? I I also I have a I have a side business because I'm a huge video gamer. Perhaps you're a video game too. And I so I, games. I love video games. So I collect video games a lot. And I have, if you go to my Facebook page, there's a link to my um, video game store. My Facebook page is facebook.com slash the dot moss dot piglet. The moss piglet. Um, a moss piglet is a tardigrade. It's a little, a little animal. Some people think it's an extraterrestrial actually. But anyway, what I was going to say is a lot of times I go to pawn stores to get video games. And I've been to a lot of really shady places. But I've never had a problem, though, you know. Uh, so, I, so as I say, I've, I've been to Houston. I've been to all the rough parts. Where that's where usually pawn stores are. Pawn stores, if you, people don't know, people go to pawn stores, and if they don't have any money or if they steal something, they'll put it up, and then they'll get money or they'll get a loan or something for it. So it, a lot of unsavory people go there, unfortunately. I just go there to shop, but I've never had any problems at a pawn store. Yeah. <laughs> Willie D is cleaning up the town. He, he, he brought the ghetto boys in. Now he's cleaning it up. Good. Good for really you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Now we got alligators, reptiles, all these things. You think those are just? You think those were like the, our era of dinosaurs? You think that they they went all the way back to the dinosaurs? Because I mean, we, when you're thinking about things we deal with today, the most you know it, it practically is a dinosaur. You know what I mean? Even though they said what dinosaurs had feathers, is that a new thing they're saying? Okay. Yeah. Look, uh, look, yeah. I'll talk about everything you just said. So let's see. Yeah. Let's start with the let's start with dinosaurs. So uh, there's a type of dinosaur. There's one type of dinosaur called a theropod. Now, it's, it's called a theropod, and they all look the same. These are your T-Rexes, velociraptors. Anything that looks something like that, I'm talking about predatory, walks on two legs. Those are called theropods. Theropods became birds. Now, there are other non-theropod dinosaurs, which is basically everything that doesn't look like that. Your long-necked brachiosaur... That's not a theropod. That that's not a bird. Your um, Stegosaurus, Triceratops. That's not a bird. So it's only the theropod dinosaurs, the predatory. Those are the ones that we believe did not die and actually became our birds today. And because modern day birds have feathers, there's some evidence that just suggests that the prehistoric T. Rex or Velociraptor also had feathers. So that's where the breakdown. And then what what separates the theropod dinosaurs from the non-theropod dinosaurs? It's it's really just the hip bones. The bones and the hip, so that's that's that that explains that little thing. So yeah, now as far as crocodilians and sharks and uh, alligator garfish, actually one of my favorite animals is an alligator garfish. It's a fish that looks like it's got a mouth of an alligator. It could grow up to ten feet long. Freshwater fish found all the way in North America. They're actually very sweet. They're actually very sweet. Okay. There's no, they have the long mouth with two rows of teeth, but they. They're actually fish eaters, which is called a pisivore. And so they're not really known to attack humans. But the thing is, those fish fossils have been found, and they look exactly the same, and they go back 300 million years ago, and it hasn't changed. Now, the T-Rex lived about 65 million years ago. So that's to say this dinosaur lived several hundred million years before the T-Rex, and he hasn't changed at all. So, yeah, these animals, I mean, when you look at a shark, that is a prehistoric animal. I mean, that's what they look like for millions of years when the dinosaurs were. When you look at a, a, a crocodile or you look at an alligator, and there's other animals. I'm just 
listing three. So uh, they kind of just, they, they're kind of like mass extinction survivors. Now, I know more about alligator guards, so I could kind of explain why, how they probably did it. They got some things going for them. Number one, alligator garfish, once again, imagine a fish lives in the water. It's got little fins, long body, skin like an alligator, head like an alligator. This fish actually has an air bladder, so it doesn't breathe air through gills. It actually comes up to the surface of the water. It takes a big gulp of air. You'll see his little mouth open. Now, mm. that's very evolutionarily advantaged because you could be a six-foot-long fish, and you could be just, like, in a little puddle of, like, stinky water, and it, it's, you can still breathe. You're not going to stuff it mm. things. And if you can hold on long enough until it rains, you're good, but all your buddies are dead. So that's one advantage they have. They also have a really tough, tough exterior. Like, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that, like, um, you'll find, like, uh, Native American arrowheads stuck in their uh, skin because they can't mm-hmm. pierce it. That's how long they've been around, how old they are. So they're very tough on the outside. They can survive low water, low oxygen temperatures. So I think that's what made them survive. So that's why they survived those mass extinctions. Now, they, had, they do have some problems. But I guess they, I guess the, the advantages are, are better than the disadvantages. Some of the disadvantages is they take a long time to mature. That that is to say that you have to live a long time before you have kids, and that is actually disadvantage. That's a disadvantage to survive. Uh, you know, because some animals have the strategy like, hey, we're going to have a lot of kids. We're just going to have a hundred, hundreds of kids. But yeah, most of them are going to die. But you know what? A lot of them are going to survive. Some other animals are like, look, we're not. We're only going to have a few, like humans. We're only going to have a few children but we're really going to take care of them. So yeah, basically some animals have survived unchanged for millions and millions of years. It's like, and to go with the comet thing, it's like uh, the ones that were able to survive would be the birds that were able to fly while the impact happened. And like the fish that could go low when, you know, when the wave went out, because I mean, and that'd be another reason for them to, to even swim deeper when people go, well, why? Cause when they say, you know, you, we don't really know a lot about, the bottom of the ocean and stuff, there's certain parts un- undiscovered. It's like, yeah, like it would, that's where it would go. Cause like, I'm sure that, you know, that a good chunk of that hot water heated up enough to kill anything at the surface. Mm-hmm. So like it would have scared, they got brains. It would have scared them deep down and they, they would, who knows, maybe they talked to each other about the, don't go to the surface. Remember what happened that time type stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just really exciting. The, like I say, there's lots of mass extinctions. You're talking about one of the later mass extinctions, what happened with the dinosaurs. But the mass extinctions go back way, way, way back. But yeah, that mass extinction is very interesting because at that time, during some of the mass extinctions, we didn't have that many big animals or any big animals. So, but during the, that mass extinction, the one that happened 65 million years ago, we did have a lot of, a lot of large animals. And it's interesting to think what happened the days and months and years after the collision and how they were able to survive, but they did it. Some of them did do it. Do you, do you think all the mass extinctions were from comet, or do you think it was multiple things? Well, what is what is the current thinking in biology is multiple things happened. Yeah. It wasn't all comets. Some of them had to do with like uh, new chemicals in the, uh, in the environment that were actually toxic Disease. to them. Yeah, they're not to- maybe they're not toxic to you and me, but they were toxic to whatever was living back then. We evolved. There's, there's, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's multiple reasons for mass. Uh, look, here's the thing. Look, I, I don't feel, <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong in saying this. We're going to have another mass extinction. I don't know oh, when yeah. it's going to happen. I mean, we're in one right now, but it's, it's kind of puttering around. I'm talking about a badass mass extinction wiping out. Also, it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, 
But because we've had so many, it's just the, it's the course. That is just what happens to planet. It's like going through puberty, you know? You can't yeah. avoid it. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Now, we, we may... Well, the last yeah. thing I'll say is we may advance if we can get our, our, our stuff together, and we may be able to prevent a mass extinction. Maybe. Not right now, though. Okay, go ahead. Maybe, like, chemical-wise, perhaps. Uh, but, like, the comet thing always creeps me out because even in the Bible, I believe, it says... Wormwood, I believe, is like a, uh, it's a mountain on fire that, that destroys the earth. And like a mountain on, me and Ray always talk about, like they wouldn't really know what, to, what to, how to describe things. So like a mountain, a comet is a mountain on fire when you really think about it. You know what I mean? So, and like didn't recently, they just fire a rocket off to, in space to try and like derail something that's coming towards us. Didn't that happen? I think I read something like that in the news. I did hear rumors about that. I believe one country sent, there was a space rock. I'm not sure. I don't want to use the word asteroid or meteor because I'm not sure which it is, but there was a rock in space. And a country, once again, I'm being vague because I don't know the details. Some country in in our planet sent robots up there to drill and to like break it apart and just mess with it. So that is happening. I mean, scientists are working on preventing that, are preventing an asteroid from destroying us. They are. That is a concern they have. Uh, right, rightfully so. Oh, that definitely creeps me out big time, and uh, that can only be followed up by a, a, the creepy, the creepy question of if they would have know that we were going to get a visit by Mister Comet in three years. I don't think they would tell anybody. I think it would just be you'd find out like three hours, like as soon as it was big <laughs> enough, for them have to tell you. You know what I mean? Right. That's what you'd no, find I know what out. you mean. That'd be that would be scary, and uh, and. And, and darkly funny, if that were to happen. <laughs> Houston would begin a whole lot worse if they said the world was going to end in three years or three months. Like, imagine yeah, the chaos that would break out. Yeah, when I go out, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get shanked at least once. <laughs> they might be doing you a favor at that point, though. You never know. It's true. But yeah, I kind of, so is that like a phobia you have at the end of the world? Yeah, kind of I, Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, tidal waves creep me out incredibly, and like I think just massive things that there's no, you know, you see it, you see it coming from a distance, and there's nothing you can do. It's just you're done. You, but it's not quick. All those things bother me. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I thinking that I don't think about it during when I'm awake, but some of my most vivid nightmares have been that scenario. Like I'm somewhere, and there's the world's about to end because of a comet, and I'm just there's nothing to do about it. So that is a very terrifying concept, for sure. It's a, I, I, used, I get a dream book somewhere around here. That means something, you know what I mean? Not just being afraid of what it is, because it is pretty scary. I don't think it's good, whatever it means. I, I, don't, I, can't no. assume, I, I don't think it means you're going to have a lot of fortune in the future. See, I think that's what it means. I like to think that it's the universe telling you that there's somebody coming or something coming in your life that could be a problem, and it's not too late to, 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 to duck that problem. It's the positive outlook, at least. Mm-hmm. Very good. But yeah, I do. I'm with you. I think there's. Uh, I think we got something big coming. Uh, who knows what it will be? But uh, look, when I say it's going to happen, uh, look, I'm saying it could happen anywhere from now. I could happen tomorrow or 50 million years in the future. <laughs> I mean, 50 million years is not that long. I'm sorry, but to humans, it's a long time. 50 million years, you're like, wow, but it's not that long. The planet we we believe we estimate it's two billion years old. 50, year, 50 million years is just like a drop in the bucket, basically. Yeah. You think in the very first civilizations there was humans, or it was just kind of growth 
until it eventually somehow we evolve from that type deal or something. You know, well, okay. I will tell you what I understand is the the current consensus. This is what most people who study this stuff believe. I'm not saying I believe it because it's not really my area of study, but this is what people say. People believe that in the beginning of the planet, you know, it was just a hot rock. And then people say that they have done experiments where if you get the right chemicals and compounds in the right temperature, that life will begin to form on its own. Apparently those experiments have been done. And apparently that's what would happen in an early earth. Those chemicals were beginning to form. Here's the thing about evolution that people don't understand, I think. The, the one ingredient that people always leave out of evolution in their, in their calculations or trying to understand it is the ingredients of heavy time, long, long time. I mean, you could do, if you give someone 200 million years, amazing things can happen. Okay? Yeah. Of course, I mean, most people think in the term of months or years or weeks. So, so what I'm saying is it might sound ridiculous. Somebody might say, well, that's like a one in a million chance that life could form with all these chemicals or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But give it millions of years, it will happen, I believe. A lot of weird things happen with time, with millions yeah. and millions of years. Anyway, so then that life formed in a, the basic life. It, all life is thought to have come from the ocean. So these, these first organisms were cells, single cells, probably microscopic, and they live in the ocean. Now, from those cells, all life came. So that's to say that's your great-granddaddy, that's my great-granddaddy. And then the, the thinking is that if you want to get to humans, the thinking is that you have so, single-celled organisms, and then you move up to multicellular organisms. And then I believe the chain is... Uh, so humans actually come from reptiles. I don't know if you know this, but all mammals come from reptiles. So yeah, we are actually... Brain, right? Reptilian yeah. gland in the brain? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we're actually... Our ancestors are our ancestors were reptiles. Now, where did the reptiles come from? They came from fish. So that's that's what the progression is. The progression is uh, a bunch of proteins and just reg- random chemicals in the ocean. Then single celled organisms. Then I mean you have multicellular organisms. I'm skipping a few steps. Then you have fish. From fish you have reptiles. From reptiles you have mammals. The early mammals probably look like little rats. From these little rats, eventually you got some primates. From primates, you eventually got humans. And that's how we got here. That's the thinking. And in humans, the modern human, once again, this is all like up in the air. It could change. But I believe the thinking is that modern humans, as we understand them, like Lucy, whatever ancestors, humans are about 9 million years old. That's what I think the estimation is. 9 million years since we have what we could earliest thing we could call a human. Now, human civilization is much later obviously than that, but 9 million years is what we got on this. Now, that's interesting too, because a lot of species, I heard that uh, the average for a species is 30 million years. That's how long a species will live until it becomes extinct. So we're about 9 million years in right now. (laughs) Third of the way. Do you think that there there was a more advanced uh, civilization than us before us that got wiped out? Yeah, so that's a very interesting thought, and I have pondered it. Um, I will say this. The conditions are there for that to be possible. The conditions are there. We have enough time. We have enough land. We have enough life that it is possible that very advanced civilizations 
lived before humans. They were wiped out or went into hiding. And any evidence of visualization was erased from the timeline through natural disasters or floods or earthquakes. Um, I don't, so, so yeah, I think the conditions are there and it's possible that it could have happened. And I know the stories are out there. You know, and one of the hypotheses right now, one of the explanations for modern UFO sightings are these, this is just a civilization that has been on earth longer than we have. And for whatever reason, they retired into the ocean or into the volcano or, but they have all this technology. So I, I guess, but the, uh, yeah, to summarize my answer. I don't know if, I don't know if that's happened, but I do think it's possible because all the conditions are there for that to have happened. And it's a very exciting thought. It's very exciting. It is very egocentric of us to think that we're the only, only ones that figured out civilization. Yeah. And technology. You know, the ocean is the best place to hide realistically. You know what I mean? So. Yes. If it was, if we were to have like a, a better one than us beforehand, you know, you t- think, take like Atlantis, you know, for mm-hmm. instance, I don't know the full history on that, whether it was a, it was a, you know, they were there when it was land and then it flooded and then that's why it was underwater. Or if maybe it was somebody more advanced that knew that it and built while it was water under underwater. I mean, we do it now, yeah. but maybe they were more advanced building, you know, cities and the whole deal under there. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, those stories are very persistent. They don't go away. The stories that, um, there was another civilization or there still is an ancient civilization on this planet. You know, my explanation for the paranormal as a whole, UFOs, Bigfoot, I believe that there's multiple explanations. I think all that stuff is going on, but there's multiple explanations. For example, for Bigfoot, I think Bigfoot is a real phenomenon, but I think there's multiple explanations happening simultaneously. I for sure believe some Bigfoot are real and they're just regular animals like gorillas. But I also believe there's some Bigfoot type creatures that have technology, like portals. They have mm-hmm. like, they basically they have everything a gray can do, like fly a UFO, paralyze you, read your mind. I think those Bigfoot are out there. Now, why, why do they have that technology? I don't know. Maybe they're aliens. Maybe they're from another dimension and they just look like a Bigfoot. But yeah, I think there's multiple, I think Bigfoot's going on and there's multiple explanations at the same time. I think ghosts are going on, but there's multiple explanations at the same time. I think UFOs are happening, but there's multiple explanations at the same time. That's kind of what I think. I I don't think uh, there's just one blanket answer for everything. Yeah. Yeah. With the, you know, the ghost thing, do you think it's, do you think that it's a, it killed too soon type deal or, or, you you know, you don't want to leave? What do you, what do you equate to that? Okay, so there's different, the ghost thing, there's different explanations. So let me talk about what the different explanations are. It seems to me that some of the ghosts seem to be maybe a time slip, mm-hmm. some kind of time anomaly, where we are seeing ghostly apparitions, but they're actually just people living in their own time. And then they maybe they see us and they think we're the ghosts. Because I'm very fascinated. There's a lot of reports of people seeing ghosts or apparitions appear like right in front of them. And the apparition is just as shocked as they are. And they're both shocked. So I think there's some kind of funny business going on with time slips or, or different dimensions are kind of crossing over. And so we see other humans and we think ghosts, but maybe they're not dead. They're, they're actually alive, but they're just in a different time or a different place or a different dimension. Now, the traditional ghost, which is thought to be a deceased person, 
I don't know. I, I've given it less thoughts. I've given that less thoughts. But I do think that also happens. I don't know. That is more, it's more tricky to analyze because there's so much emotions involved with the death. Yeah. When someone dies, you know, they leave behind, it's not their fault, but they leave behind a lot of heavy emotions. So the people that knew them are thinking about them a lot. And it could be that they maybe manifest them or so. So yeah, that, those are my thinking of ghosts. I haven't, I don't know so much about the spirits coming back from the dead, but I do think a lot of these ghosts are regular people in a time slip situation. Yeah, the dimensional thing's really cool, too. You think, like, once you go back into that energy or a spirit that you're able to just jump through dimensions as easy as opening a door? I think you could do it, but I think I think you could do it easily. But the thing is, I don't know if you know how to, you know? Like, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a difference between being able to do something, having the yeah. capability, and then but, but then knowing how. So I believe if somebody were able to teach you, if you had a mentor, then you could do it. You know, a lot of people, I, I like this idea. I just heard this idea recently. And the idea is that UFOs are not actually interstellar vehicles. They're actually interdimensional vehicles. Yes. Because, well, some people say that, like, well, there's a really famous UFO sighting. I don't remember what it is. I'll have to look it up. But um, this lady saw the UFO, and it was so small. And there were so many little aliens. She's like, there's no way they could all fit in there. First of all, I know that some people probably think that UFOs have a type of technology where it's small on the outside but big on the inside. But that's not what she thought was happening. What she thought was happening was like the reason why it's so small is because it's not a spaceship. It's actually just a door. So the idea is that a lot of UFOs are not spaceships. They're doorways. They're portals. So the reason why it's so small is because you just walk in and you end up in your own dimension or your own reality. And if you want to come to ours... So in that way, uh, I feel like a lot of UFOs are actually just portals. They're doorways. They're not vehicles. They're teleportation, de- teleportation devices. I dig that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, did you guys see the news? I, I just saw it today, this morning, but apparently uh, some scientists accidentally discovered a warp bubble. So we now know how to produce warp technology. Hmm. Um, so what this means, the application is interstellar travel. Quick interstellar travel. That's the application. Now, apparently it's going to change the world. I think, I think it's a cover story. I think, I don't think they accidentally discovered a warp drive. I think we've known about warp drives, but there's no way to tell people about it. I think we just, we learned about them through UFOs, but now we have the story that we accidentally discovered it. Now we could go buck wild with it. We could have instantaneous travel on our planet and other planets. Um, that would probably happen in our lifetime. I mean, it's very it's very recent news. It just came out this morning that I read that this work bubble has been discovered by uh, DARPA. Do you uh, think? You, do you think like playing with that stuff could be th- how our civilization ends? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's the problem with a lot of science is that uh, you know I was president of the graduates. I was a graduate student in biology, and I was president. So I would go to the meetings, and we would have the other graduate schools there, like the um, accounting people counting majors. And then one guy, one time, one guy at one of these conferences, he was telling me, he's like, you know, the thing about biologists is like, the thing about us, we're an accountant, the guy was telling me. We mess up, well, you know, a couple of people go bankrupt, whatever. Think about you guys, if you mess up, there's a whole new disease on the planet or, you know, something much worse happens. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you do have to be careful with technology. 
it is tricky. You know, some would say that we're getting where the technology is coming a little too fast at us. I've heard people say that before, and there could be problematic in the future. Well, what I the per, the person I heard say that are grays. A lot of times, when grays have a message for humans, like for instance in Zimbabwe, uh, in the, the aerial school, there's a, there's a school for elementary children in Zimbabwe, Africa, in the nineties. And it was an international school. A lot of different kids went there. I think they were a little bit more well off. But anyway, uh, a UFO landed in the schoolyard during the daytime. Several children saw the craft. And they saw the gray aliens. And uh, several of the children communicated telepathically with the gray aliens. And what the gray aliens told them, well, it showed them a message. It showed telepathically they saw the earth and it was like a disaster. It was like, all, it was bad. And then yeah. the message the children got was that this was the message. We're using technology incorrectly and it's going to lead to a disaster. That's what the children were told. Yeah. So, so I think you're right. Facebook. <clears throat> yeah, they're talking about Facebook. Social media. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that was, that's a very interesting stuff. You know, the, yeah. whenever I, the, the, I've seen, you know, I think everybody here has seen in the sky, you know, objects and stuff like that. But when I've never seen, a gray or anything that would kind of fit what that is. But like, what, what's your take on it being this almost being like abyss, like the abyss where it's, it's, a, it's just almost a, a smoky f- foggy blobby thing. And what you see is the gray, you see a gray because the, it's trying to make it look like something that you would, you could understand. And it's not quite a human, but pretty close when you think about it. Hmm. From an outsider, well, a, from from a from a from a jellyfish, a gray w- is way more human-like. You know what I mean? I I know what you're saying, and I've heard that before, but I have some problems with that interpretation. Okay, yeah. so you, uh, let, let me repeat what you said to see if I got it right. You're, so you're saying that what are, what are my thoughts on the idea that when we see a gray, the mm-hmm. only reason we see a gray is because that is what our mind interprets it to look like, but it's not actually true. And it's that them in our mind making us think that it's something human-like, so it's not right. as scary. Well, here's the thing. Okay, well, that could be possible, but if it is, if they are doing that, yeah, then they're not very good at their job because they, that is terrifying. People are still terrified. I mean, if I saw Gray yeah, Alien, I'd be terrified. I mean, cause, cause here's my thinking. If they were going to do that, why not look like a, an attractive human, you know? Yeah. That would be less, that would be the, or, or I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that would be like, or why didn't they look like your favorite celebrity or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because to me, to me, it's still very terrifying to see a gray alien. Oh, yeah. Uh, For sure. So I don't, so, so I guess my thinking is, I don't know, if they're trying to calm us down by looking like a gray alien, they're not doing a good job because that is still scary. Yeah. But perhaps it is less scary than whatever they actually look like. I'll I'll take the gray alien over the octopus alien any day of the week. That's all I'll say. Ray, you gonna say something? Yeah, I was gonna say. What about uh, aliens that they have the ability to look like us and they walk among us now? Oh yeah, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this, but there is a, a film director named James Fox who's directed a lot of great UFO movies. He directed Out of the Blue. I know what I saw. The phenomenon, and right now he's um, making a, a UFO documentary about this uh, case in Brazil called Varginha. There's a city in, in Brazil called Varginha, 
And in the 90s, they had a landed UFO craft with really ugly-looking reptilian aliens that were recovered. But anyway, James Fox said that someone told him that aliens are on this planet in disguise as humans. I think that's 100% possible. Why wouldn't they do that? Why wouldn't they do that? They obviously care about what we do. They like looking at us from their UFOs. They like breaking into our bedrooms. What is stopping them from not looking like a human and walking among us? That is the craziest thing I believe currently, and I wouldn't tell anybody on a first date, but I do think there's, I think there's validity to that. <laughs> well, the reason I asked that, uh, the reason I asked that is I myself associate with a lot of people into different esoteric, uh, different disciplines, including a lot of psychics and seers. And, uh, I remember an incident where, uh, a group of us were having dinner in a restaurant mm-hmm. and one of them said, that one over there isn't human. They just, they just look like, it, but that one's not human. And half the table said, yeah, but don't focus because then they'll catch you seeing them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pull, pull your focus back, let them have their dinner. But it was a consensus. You're talking like three out of four saying, yep, that one at that table there, that one's not human. And I, these, the, the, these are people that I trust. Right. Yeah. Were you there I, too, I, or was it just, or did you hear about it? I was there too, and I'm one of the ones that said that isn't human. So tell me, what was it about the opinion? I know you had a gut feeling, but did, was there also something visually that was giving them away? Um, okay. When you talk about psychics, um, I'm trained in a variety of disciplines. And, uh, mediumship being one of them um also uh psychic seeing uh by location i've gone through a lot of training with different people including some that uh one that came over from asia actually lived with me to train mm-hmm. on these these other 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 dis- other disciplines Very and cool. you can actually you can sense it and when you probe with your mind you can receive images and feelings and you can tell, okay, that one is not human. And if, if you probe deeply, you can get an image of what it is. The problem is when you probe, they can feel it. Right. If someone is probing me, I can feel it. Right. I've heard about the yeah. psychic barriers that are in place to kind of prevent I, you from just digging around. I, I keep barriers around me all the time so people don't get into my private life. Right. But um, it's, to me, I compare it a lot like uh, if you look at Star Trek, you have shields yeah. where you, you can shoot a laser out or you can send a, uh, a probe out. Yes. But you got your shields to stop anything coming in. Right. And I was, nope. I was trained to do I was trained to do that. But I would I would say that, yeah, definitely there are times I even walking down the street, it's kind of like. Okay, uh, not that one. Uh-uh. <laughs> now, I, I, one of the, the 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 most famous stories I've heard about this happening was um, the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, huge band from the nineties. Billy Corgan. Billy, Billy Corgan. Corgan. Hell yeah. Love love Billy. He's looking a little rough yeah. these days, but I still love. Him. Now, <laughs> Billy, he he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he told the story. He said. Still on YouTube, I think. He said he was in a meeting alone with a music executive. 
He said that the music executive space changed into something that was not human. He said that they both acknowledged it, it happened, and then Billy mentioned something about it. He was like, hey, what happened there? And the, the guys told him, yeah, it happened. And then he said he won't tell, he won't say anymore. He says if he writes a book, he'll expand on it. But that to me sounds like, why is this, why is this music executive space changing? That's not normal. <laughs> It has that Jin fail to it a little bit too, because I believe the Jin also can like look exactly even though it's an evil deal, it can look human, right? Exactly like whoever. Yeah, yeah. Take the you know, yeah. That Billy Corgan story is. I think I've heard that. I forgot about it at the time. I like Rogan. Rogan's a good show, and uh, you know the music business would be the highest of influence, like the film business and stuff like that. So it makes sense, you know. I know that what a Tom DeLonge, I think it is from Blink One Eighty Two. He's big in the early side. I believe he's big in like the UFO movement thing. Yes, he is. So, he is. Yeah. So like, but you wouldn't be you wouldn't be surprised that those would be the people that they would go to. Some people go, why would you go to a musician? You know, but just a dummy musician or whatever. But it's like, no, the influence that they hold is yeah. like why they're going there. Yeah, like I said, I don't think like high. I mean, I don't think a. Someone in disguise, a non-human in disguise as a human, they're not going to be a pharmacy clerk. They're mm-hmm. not going to be a gas station attendant. They're going to be someone in power. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, How do you feel about Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just want to say, like, I don't have any proof that that's happening, but my gut is just telling me that that's probably happening. And it's a scary thought that there's – Yeah. I think that could that could be one of those an interdimensional being. It could be an, you know, an alien type thing. It could be a jinn. It could be a demon in, in, in human form, for all we know. Uh, very crazy stuff. But that influence there is... When I think of the influence, I, th- I do think you can get a little satanic with some stuff, maybe. And, who you know, people try to tie the dark arts to, you know, aliens and, you know, summoning and stuff like that. And we did an episode that was really interesting. I thought where like people, there's certain people that think that um, aliens are demons. Do you subscribe to that at all? Have you kind of heard anything about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've thought about that a lot. And I've spoken a little bit about that. Okay. So there's this whole subset of knowledge and uh, it's a discipline. There's, there's books written about this and it is, the discipline is called demonology. And if you talk to a lot of um, uh, priests and Catholic priests, they will still tell you about demons and they believe demons are real. Now, I think that some of these writings on demons, they may actually be describing what we call the grades or what we call extraterrestrials or ultra-terrestrials or crypto-terrestrials. I believe perhaps that was just their word for what we think of today. So, so... When I say that, I, I think that those books are good. And I think if there's books out there on demonology and they teach us how to prevent ourselves from being abused or manipulated by demons, we should probably read those things. Now, once again, I don't think I'm not saying that demons are real in the Christian sense. Once again, I'm saying that I believe some aspects of demonology actually describe a real phenomenon. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. there's a weird line there. Exactly. You know what I mean? Now, we got well, I want to talk about a couple of these the paranormal science projects you've done. Right. And what I pop into. We'll go with some of your some of your favorite ones you like mentioning. Okay. You know what <laughs> okay, I mean? so there's there's one project 
there's one project I've started already, but I'm still analyzing data. It's like baby's first paranormal science project. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a, I think there's two more that I want to do, but they're so risky that I just talk about them. And I'm not sure if I'll overdo them because they're actually unethical to do. So one of them I'm going to start right now. The, 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 the first one, baby's first paranormal experiment is that I'm working with a guy named, uh, he's got a channel called Recon Havoc, R-I-C-A-N-H-A-V-O-C. And I think it's 215 or 213. But Recon Havoc recently, about a year, maybe a year or two ago, he came out publicly as an abductee. He's had, you know, a, a, he's been awake and he's had abductions. He's seen the greys. He's had a lifetime of weird things. He suffers PTSD from it. And he went on our show. Uh, but by the way, uh, if you go to Google, uh, type in Black Lotus Productions. I do a live show every Sunday there. That's how I met you guys. It was great yeah. having you there. You watch that episode. And you can watch Michael, uh, which is the name of the guy. Um, we can have it. Anyway, so then Regan Havoc got curious about the paranormal, and he set up an infrared camera in his room. Now, infrared cameras, um, a lot of us have seen infrared cameras. You could buy them fairly inexpensive. They're, what they do is they give you a video that's black and white, and a lot of people use it for security cameras or monitoring cameras because they actually can see in the dark. The way an infrared camera works is if it's completely dark, even if it's not dark, what it does, it's got a little emitter on it. And that emitter shoots out rays, infrared rays. Now, infrared light, we cannot see. We can't see it. It's invisible to us. But it, it's there. It exists. So this camera shoots out these rays, and then they bounce back. And the camera catches them, and it makes an image. So you see you're able to see in the dark because it doesn't, it, it doesn't involve the visible spectrum. It involves invisible light. So he set up this camera, and then he started getting a lot of what's called orbs, or little circles in the video image. And a lot of people have, they catch these orbs. They catch them on regular cameras, video cameras, still pictures, digital pictures. And a lot of people say it's paranormal, and a lot of people say it's, it's what's called backscatter. I've, I've researched it. Backscatter is basically what happens. You know, the air is not empty. The air has a lot of different compounds in it, but it also has dust. It has small animals in it, and it's just got a bunch of stuff in it. So a lot of people say all these um, orbs are are not anything paranormal. There's just the infrared light hitting them and bouncing back. That's what we see them. Now, that does sound like it makes sense. I do like that explanation, but I did a little bit of digging, and I couldn't find anybody had actually done an experiment to show that that is true. So I got together with Rika, and I was like, hey, you're getting all these great orb footage. I mean, the videos look really cool. I mean, these orbs are big. They're moving around. They're changing directions. I'm like, that looks awesome. It does look very cool. That's a lot of data you're catching. But what is it? Is it really dust and insects? Let's try to find out. Oh, you going to say something, Rick? Nope. Okay. And then, so then I, I asked him to do this. I was like, hey. If it is just dust and little particles, then let's buy an air filter to remove the particles and then film again. So my thinking is I, I want to try to eliminate everything that people say it is. So, for instance, we're, gonna do, we're doing different trials. One trial is going to have an air filter. So that should remove a lot of dust and pollen. We're going to do another trial where we like put in um, – we put out a insecticide, so that should kill all the small insects in the air. 
And then I also want to do a trial where I have a fan, or he, well, he has a, he lives in Philadelphia, where he has a fan that's running heavily in one direction. So the thinking is, if we're, if it is just particles in the air and that fan is running, well, then the, the dust should react to it. But if it, the dust is resisting, and if it, and if we already sprayed for pests, and there's nothing, there's no animals in the air, and if we're already cleaning the air with dust, well, then we're eliminating what's happening. But that that project is still in the phase of analyzing data and collecting data. But it's a simple paper. It's a simple project, but I think I could get it published because um, whatever we, I don't know what we're going to find out, but let's say, um, let's say all these tests, all I just don't remove the orbs, then I could probably, probably publish a paper in a academic journal with all the trials, all the data. And it's going to say something like the title will maybe be like, um, you know, um, uh, you know, insecticides and air filtration failed to remove the backscatter from infrared video, you know, which is basically just, I'm just describing what the experiment is because I am very curious. The, the question to me is what is causing these cool images? And I don't know. So I'm trying to use this process of elimination to find out what is actually happening. Yeah. That, that's cool. And I, and I definitely dig that in the whole, I'm glad you're doing that like dust particle test because anybody who's ever like walked into like a, maybe a dusty garage or something like that, where you have multiple windows throwing lights in different directions, you see the dust and particles float around in that air. So like, I've thought that myself, which was, so like, I'm glad you guys are testing that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be super cool uh, once we get everything analyzed. I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. I want to see what it is. Um, yeah, particles are everywhere, too. They really are. They really are. They really you know are. what I mean? You ever, like, close your eye a little bit? And, like, when I was – I haven't done it in a while, but when I was younger, I could, like, close – and, like, my eyelids would just start to close, and, like, you would get, like, a magnifying glass effect, and yeah. you'd almost be able to see, like, particles yes. on your eyelash. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. If you ever want to make a really cheap uh, uh, magnifying glass or a telescope, just get a piece of paper or something and punch a little hole in it. And if you look through that little hole, it, it, it does magnify things. Yeah. So, I, um, yeah, you know, whatever that is, I th- we're going to get results, whatever it is, and I'm going to try to publish it, whatever it is. If, if, we, if we remove the orbs with one of our methods, that's great. I'll publish that. I'll be like, hey, listen, I found a method of removing backscatter from your video. If it doesn't remove it, I'll be like, Hey, why isn't it removing the basket? Yeah, what else yeah. can I do? Like really, I'm really, what we're trying to do is get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> and but by, by trying to get rid of it, we're trying to discover what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So that's the first experiment. And like I said, I call it baby's first paranormal project because it's very safe, very ethical. Mm-hmm. It's just tiptoeing into the paranormal. I mean, I'm dealing with an alien abductee. And it is unexplained. That's what makes it kind of paranormal. But uh, I could move on to some other projects that are a little more uh, dangerous. I'm down for some danger. Is my middle name. You know what I mean? All right, I like it. Oh, okay. I'll move in. I'll I'll move in order of danger. The last one. The last one is like I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to tell you about it. Wink, wink. I'm not going to do it. I'm just kidding. I'm a very ethical person. I have ethical standards. Anyway. So the second project, uh, this is still ethical, not dangerous, but we're moving up a little bit in complexity. Um, there was this great uh, cryptozoologist and paranormal researcher named uh, Ivan, Ivan Sanderson. And he's actually a biologist like me. 
And once again, my friend Zelia at her at um, Just Another Temporal Hat told me about this guy, Ivan Sanderson. He actually came up with the term ultra-terrestrial. So he wrote a lot of books about biology and the paranormal. And one of his ideas was he was talking about these reports of animals in the air that look like giant jellyfish or manta rays. And I'm like, cool. That seems like it could happen. Yeah. <laughs> because um, you said it earlier. You said something that I think is true. The ocean is covers the majority of the planets, and we, we, don't, we don't investigate it at all. The other areas we don't investigate are under the crust of the earth. I mean, we just we live on the surface of the earth. We don't yeah. live under the crust. We have caves, we have a cellar, but I'm talking about there's a lot of real estate down there. And the yeah. last place we don't really travel is the sky. I mean, once again, we have airplanes, but we have fixed routes. We don't permanently live in the sky. So biology hates a vacuum. I mean, it's free real estate. I think something could be living there. So how would I investigate these claims? Well, first, I would write down um, where all – I would try to collect as many sightings as I can. And I want to know where and when they were lo- they were sighted. So I want to try to find a pattern to the time of day they were sighted and the areas. If I could find a place in time I think is kind of like a hotspot, what I would do is I would get a, a weather balloon, a real weather balloon. I'm not going to use it to fake UFO. I'm actually going to use yeah. it for its intended purpose, not to fake the Roswell crash. That's bad. Don't do that. No. So, I mean, they have weather balloons. They're a real thing. So I'm going to get a weather balloon, probably hook up a little GoPro camera to it and a little um, GPS sensor, and then probably also have some, you know, they sell these little plates where you could grow bacteria on them, you know, so you can see what's there. So I would have these virgin plates covered up in my little uh, weather balloon, and then I would have my camera. I would send it all up, and I would have it programmed with some simple robotics to uh, once it gets to the area I want to study, it would open up the plates and expose them to the air. So anything that's alive, like microbacteria, would collect on the plate. And then it would close it back up and it come back down. It's going to be a little difficult because I'd have to find this balloon when it crashes. And it might be on someone's roof or something. Or, you know, a lot of people, when they do this type of experiment, they do it in the desert. Because when it falls down, you know, it's just probably going to be somewhere publicly. And that's yeah. why the GPS sensor is there. But then I would just look at the video to see if I see anything interesting. But then I would grow what's in the plates because I want to, I want to try to build uh, a food chain or an ecology. Because if something big like a jellyfish is living there, well, they need to eat something. And then whatever that is needs to eat something. So if those little plates can capture bacteria or viruses or weird stuff, well, then maybe there is something up there, you know, that that's how I would start the project. So, yeah. I'm going to say the jellyfish. I mean, when I think of jellyfish, I think of, like, uh, the old ones. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh. they should be Lovecraft, I vibe. Really? Yeah, that's true. The look of it. The look of it. Yeah. The look of it. They got and that the, look. And I, may, I might be making a mistake by thinking this, but the reason why yeah. I want to do this project is because I'm like, look, I'm like, I'm like, jellyfish and manta rays, they sound like peaceful animals. So if I start investigating them, maybe they're peaceful, but maybe they're not peaceful. Maybe they're violence. I don't know. I'm assuming they are peaceful. Yeah. Another another project I could do, I I recently just talked, I did an interview this Sunday on Black Lotus Productions on YouTube with uh, Robert Bito. Robert Bito is uh, like an Indiana Jones type character that goes to Mexico, all over Mexico, and he collects all these legends. So in Mexico, there's this very pervasive story 
of a giant owl, which is called the lechusa. Everybody knows about it from Mexico, Central America. Everybody knows it. My parents used to tease me about it, tell me that the lechusa was going to get me in my do- at night. Yeah. Their parents, their parents told them. But I asked Robert, I was like, "Hey, of all these legends in Mexico, what do you think is most likely to be real?" And he said, "He said the lechusa was one of them. There probably is because there have been reports, daytime reports of people actually seeing a giant owl." So. If I were to, disc- to, to do a project with that, I would do something similar to what I said with jellyfish. I would write down all the reports, time and place where they were done. I would try to find a route where it likes to live. I know uh, large birds like that, they probably like to perch up high. So I would maybe look around the mountains or really high rainforest. Then, <laughs> then I would get a huge stinking pile of rotten fish and put it right there, smack dab in his territory. They, this, they track a lot of their food by smell. And so then try to just get it to come down. And then Robert was like, then what? Then what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, then I'll hide. I don't know. No, but then I'll, I'll be like in my little corner and I'll take pictures of it or whatever, you know? So that's how I would do the, that's how I would investigate jellyfish, manta rays, and giant owls if I were to try it out. When, when we're talking about, on the, usually on the show when we're talking about these big creatures like Mothman and stuff, which I, th- I feel like Mothman kind of fits into the vibe of that. Uh, we have this kind of theory that if you make eye contact with it, you're forever connected and like it can follow you and almost get inside your head wherever it needs to be. Uh, I catch that kind of vibe with this owl type thing. Interesting. Now, do, you th- do you think it's supernatural or do you think it's just a, a physically gigantic owl that is ancient type deal? I'm going, I'm going by the, just a regular owl. And same thing with the manta rays and the sky jellyfish. I'm thinking just animals, flesh and blood animals that just have not been discovered yet. That's what I'm thinking, but I could be wrong. Um, you know, I, I do think a lot of aspects of the paranormal are true, but I'm not a diehard believer. If evidence is presented to me, then yeah, I'm willing to believe that none of it is real, but I have not seen that evidence. That is to say, I think if you're going to be a real scientist, you honestly have to have an open mind. You have to be able to change your opinion when new data is presented. And if you can't do that, you're a shitty scientist. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's true. But uh, let me see. What what other projects? There's uh, okay. There was one I'm going to try. This one's kind of in between danger. This one I don't. I'm not too sure about doing this one now. Yeah. Have you guys heard about close encounters of the fifth kind? CE5. No. No? Oh, okay. Well, that the fourth kind was the owl. I remember the movie The Fourth Kind that had the owl in it that could bring it back to the owl, which I will say the, the face of an owl and like the face of a, a gray are very, very similar. They are very similar. Yeah, and, and owls are nighttime creatures, and they are. Yeah. Well, okay, so Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, basically, it is said, it has been said that there is a way for you and I to summon UFOs. So we initiate the contact. So that is really cool if it's true because, you know, science relies on two principles. Well, let me, let me give a little science lesson with this. Okay, Al. What is science? You know, some people hate science, and that's fine with me. I don't care. I'm not trying to convince someone to like science. What I do care about is that you understand what it is. I want people to have a, a clear definition of science. And if once they understand what it is, if they still hate it, more power to you. Hate it, hate it with all your little black heart. Now, <laughs> science is actually just a tool. It's a tool just like a car or a hammer. It helps us do something. Yeah. Now, a, a, a hammer is not evil. 
it's not good either. You could use a hammer for good things, and you could use a hammer for bad things. The hammer itself is very neutral. That is the way science is. Science is a neutral thing. Now, the way the tool works, which is science, it basically, it just answers questions. And that's a great gift. That's almost a superpower. It's almost magical. You ask any question you want, science will give you the answer. You may not like the answer, but that's part of science. So here are some questions you could ask. You could say, um, is Bigfoot real? How do I get out of jail faster? Uh, you know, how do I make a million dollars? How do I go to the moon? How do I make this car more fuel efficient? Just there's so many questions you could ask. And that's how science works. Once you learn the skills of science, you can start asking all these questions and you're going to get an answer. That's a really cool thing to have. Now, you need two things for science to work. Number one is you need to have repeatability. That means that whenever you discover something, it needs to be able to be repeated over and over again. Now, this is a good thing, okay? You want repeatability because if that's... If without repeatability, repeatability, you lose a lot. Like, let's say your car does not have repeatability as far as how often it starts. You want your car to start every time you go in your car. That is basically what repeatability is. You come up with something, you want someone else to do it. Okay, so you have to have that. Now, the second thing you have to have for science is you have to have falsifiability. Falsifiability, it means you have to have the ability to prove something incorrect, to say something is not true. Quick example, let's say that your friend tells you there's an invisible dragon in his garage. You say, cool, let me use science to investigate this. Science is perfect for this. So you ask your friend, we're here in the garage, why don't we put a sheet over this invisible dragon? I'm not sure if I mentioned, but the dragon is invisible. Your friend's like, there's an invisible dragon. So you tell your friend, the question you ask for science is, is there a dragon, is there an invisible dragon in my friend's garage? You go to your friend's garage and you say, hey, let's put a sheet over the dragon to see if it's real. And then your friend says, no, you can't do that because the, the dragon will just like, uh, vap- uh, he'll like uh, disappear from existence. So the sheet will go down. And you're like, okay, no problem, no problem. How about we put some like, like flour on the floor and then we can look at his footsteps. And your friend says, no, it hovers. You're like, okay, that's fine. No, no, no problem, buddy. What about we use a thermal sensing camera and your friend's like, no, you know, your friend just keeps coming out. You can't prove him wrong. You can't use science in that case. Now, that being said, I think I think almost every question I've heard about in the paranormal can be analyzed using science because I think you can get repeatability in the paranormal. And I think you can get falsifiability in the, in the paranormal. It is not easy. It is not easy. But if you're a scientist, you know, be clever, be a scientist, use your brain. I mean, if you don't do it, if you think it's impossible, you're a bad scientist. Anyway, so that's what science is. So going back to this thing about CE5, what I like about CE5 is it has repeatability. Repeatability. Apparently, if you follow these steps, you could re- you could get UFOs to come to you. So I could do it multiple times. You could do it. Ray could do it. And we could consistently get UFOs. Now, basically, this is what the protocol is, from what I understand. You could buy apps for this, or you could buy a book. You could download a free book, but apparently what you should do, you go to a field out in the middle of nowhere where there's not a lot of lights, not a lot of interference because you want the UFO to feel comfortable, blah, blah, blah. That's what they say. Who knows? But just go in a field where you can see the sky. And then you start meditating and you imagine, you're imagining this, okay? You're imagining, you're just sitting there, you're imagining this like, this light coming from the top of your head 
and it's going straight up into the sky and it's sending out a signal. And then you're visualizing your position in the world. You're like, okay, I'm in this field. This field is in Houston. Houston is in Texas. You're basically broadcasting this direction or where you're at, and you're broadcasting the intention that you want a UFO to appear. And then, apparently, if you practice, UFOs appear in the sky. Now, once the UFOs are in the sky, you could uh, use apps to make sure it's not a satellite, make sure it's not an airplane, make sure it's not a planet or anything natural. And uh, you could take photographs and analyze the photographs. And furthermore, furthermore, it said that the more you practice, the closer they get. So, you, you know, they get closer and closer. Now, I, this is, sounds like a fun science experiment to do because you have repeatability. But yeah. now we're getting into the danger zone because I don't know who I'm calling and I don't know what their intentions are. I don't want to get abducted. <laughs> I don't. But it's yeah, like that a is demonic a, thing. Yeah. No. It's like summoning a demon or something almost. Or yeah, it kinda energy. it kinda sounds like you're having a Ouija board and you're just kinda putting it out there. Whoever wants to come, you know? Yeah. Now if if I was gonna do that C five thing, I would purposely try to summon a Nordic, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nordics look like uh, blonde people. Like yeah, like yeah. beautiful blonde people. I'm like, Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> Please send me one of those guys. <laughs> that's what aliens would be if they could choose their image. Right. You know. So that one is the uh, okay. Now we're getting into dangerous one. So I got two more. Um, this this next one is the I I I might be able to do this one, um, but the last one is too dangerous. Okay. So the next one is basically I was once again I was on Black Lotus Productions on YouTube, and we were talking to this guy named I think his name is Gary Robusto. He was a BFO. He was a Bigfoot researcher, and we were listening to him talk about Bigfoot and during that podcast I got the idea I'm like this is how I would prove Bigfoot is real so this is basically how I would do it okay first of all we need a body I'm sorry but we have to have a body this is how it works in science okay I'm a biologist I study animals animals that have already been discovered and new animals that have been discovered I have discovered a new animal to science and I described it and now we know about it now that's what we have to do with Bigfoot. How does this process work? How is it that you and I and Ray, we all know that zebras are real and none of us are questioning that zebras are a thing. Let's say that we've never been to a zoo. We've never seen TV. We've just seen a book and we've seen a picture. We've just seen an illustration of a zebra. So we haven't personally experienced a zebra. We've just seen a, a drawing, but yet we still know it's real. Well, how did that happen? Well, what happens with every single animal is when a new animal is discovered, like the zebra, someone gets, gets a body, and they preserve the body. They preserve the skin, the organs, the bones. They write a paper about where they found it, what it looks like, its measurements. They publish the paper. But here's the important part. That body is kept preserved in a museum. I'm not talking about like the museums where we go to like look at things. I'm talking about a university or research museums. If you go to a, a, a university or a research a research institution, they have these big rooms full of like drawers and metal cabinets. And inside you pull out and there's like mothballs and there's a lock and key and people are making sure that cockroaches and pests don't get in there. But you could pull out the original zebra and that's mm. the original zebra that was discovered. So the reason why nobody questions whether zebras are real is because we know where the body is and you could go to that museum and you could go look at the body 
and now you know it's real. Anybody can go look at it. That's that's what we've done with every animal that exists. Now mm-hmm. that specimen is called a type specimen. T Y P E. Okay. So in order to prove that Bigfoot is real, we need a body. We haven't been able to get a body. How have we been, how have we been trying to get a body? Well, honestly, we've been trying to kill them. And I don't think that's the best technique to do it, you know? Right. So I got the idea, hey, why don't we ask them for a body? Why don't we just ask them? <laughs> we were trying to kill one. Why don't we just ask them for a body? So let me explain. Okay. The, the, the other thing is my, I believe these creatures can sense your intention. Like what, what is really in your heart? Mm-hmm. And I don't think you could fake that. So I'll tell you right now, the reason why I want to prove Bigfoot is real is to protect Bigfoot. If I could have a body, preserve the body, publish the paper, first of all, I'd be, I'd be one of the most famous people in the world and my, yeah. my family name would live on for centuries. That's besides the point. <laughs> Once I describe it to science, I would make sure to work to pass legislation to protect it government regulations to protect this land. I mean, my intentions are pure, are to help this animal. Okay, here's how I would do it. I have heard that in certain areas, you can go where Bigfoot are, and you could leave a gift for them. You could leave an apple, a pumpkin pie, uh, cigarettes, just, you know, stuff that Bigfoot like. Now, you don't even have to see the Bigfoot. You just leave it there, you go away, the Bigfoot takes it. There's lots of variations on this. In Mexico, there's some little creatures. There's a little creature called the Chineke, and it's not actually a Bigfoot, but it's a humanoid. And apparently, Robert Robert Bito said that people that have, like, farms, they know that they have to leave an offering uh, because there's a, there's a Chineke, a little humanoid that patrols different sections of Mexico. And if you don't leave an offering or a gift, they'll mess up your stuff. Mm. But I've also heard that Bigfoot like to leave something behind for you. So you give them something, they give you something, okay? One of the things I heard recently was that there was this boy or this child, he was leaving things for Bigfoot, and Bigfoot gave him a basket. Like, they wove, like, a bird nest-looking basket for him. So they like to give gifts as well. Okay, so now we have this thought that sometimes Bigfoot will accept gifts, and sometimes they'll give you gifts back. Now, I will say this is not outrageous at all because I've heard stories that um, birds like crows, uh, grackles, ravens are very intelligent. And if you give them food, they will give you trinkets. They will give you a gift back. So mm-hmm. animals do like, they appreciate presents and they, they give you gifts back. So here's the thought. I live near a uh, biological uh Biological Preserve, one of the most biodiverse areas in the world. I've done a lot of research there. It's called the Big Thicket National Preserve. It's actually the United States' first national preserve, the first one we ever had. That means this is land set aside just for nature's purpose. Um, it's a paranormal hotspot. I've had paranormal experiences there. I've, I've published research from there. I discovered new species from there. I've done a lot of work there. I've almost died twice there, but I still love the place. Um, and there has been Bigfoot sightings there. So there is one unit. It was very recently in the 2010s or early 2000s. There's this one road called Sunflower Road. I've been down that road. And a couple saw a daytime Bigfoot crossing. And legends in this area go back a long time. There is a Bigfoot-type creature that lives there. So there's my area. The idea is I would go there and I would try to leave gifts for Bigfoot. I would try to go close to that location and just try and now here's the thing. This plan, it may take me 10 years to finish this plan, but I don't care 
10 years is not that long. If I'm proving Bigfoot is real, are, are you kidding? 10 years is nothing. Anyway, I'll leave presents for him. Once I'm pretty sure that Bigfoot is collecting the presents, I want to get the conversation started as far as what I want. So I think it's not too complicated. I think I could draw. Let's say we've been talking for two years, me and Bigfoot. We've been leaving gifts. I never even see him, but I'm pretty sure that he's taking my gifts. Well, mm. one day I could just leave a piece of paper with with a little drawing of me offering him an apple, right? And I'm leaving him apples. And then I draw a picture of him giving me something. Maybe I have like a pine cone to start off with. And I'm, I want to try to build up the confidence and trust. Be like, look, I want you to give me a pine cone. And then I'll check and maybe I give him a bunch of apples and he does give me a pine cone. Cool, cool, cool. I want to build up to the point where I asked him for the ultimate gift, which is the body. I don't want him to kill anybody. I want, uh, they die. I believe they die and they get buried. I want one of them to die. I'll wait. That's why I say I'll wait 10 years. I don't care. One of them naturally dies or has a tragic accident. Give me the body. Now the tricky part is I don't want to, I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want them to think I'm morbid either. You know, like why does this guy want a body? What does he want to do? That's a little bit of the tricky part, you know, but, but basically my, my, look, here's the other thing is you don't, I don't, it doesn't have to be a body. It could be a hand. It could be a, a skull. I mean, these things, the problem is that it's very morbid to think about, but, 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 but here's the thing. What if I give him a lot of what he likes? What if I give him like a ton, a literal ton of pancakes or I don't know, whatever it takes. I think I could bribe him or give him a big enough gift that I'm like, please, please just give me the body. <laughs> So that's my plan. That's how I would do it. <laughs> that sounds like the conversation between the UFOs and the government abducting people. Right. You started talking about the rumor that the aliens were like, we'll give you technology if you let us abduct uh, people. Which is interesting, for sure. You know, that's a, that's, an, uh, that's a thing I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. A lot of people are convinced that the government, let's say United States government specifically, has been working with aliens for a long time. I don't know what to believe, but I know that the government has broken up into a, a bunch of little pieces. The government isn't just one big blob, isn't one just big entity. It's actually very segmented or stovepiped. Yeah. But um, I guess anything is possible. <laughs> it's crazy when you think, uh, you know, just the last 20, 30 years, how we've evolved, like, technology's just blown up huge. You know what I mean? Right. And like I think, like I said, this warp drive thing is really interesting to me. So warp drive has been discovered. Warp drive is what they talk about in Star Trek, you know, yeah. it's how they travel. I just think it's so something, a little voice in me is telling me, they, stop lying. You didn't accidentally discover warp drive. That's a lie. Building it. Yeah, they've been building yeah. it since they've seen Star Wars. That's their goal. Yeah. And che- Chewbacca is a Bigfoot, a smart Bigfoot for crying exactly. out loud. Exactly. No, know? exactly. I think, yeah, I think some, I think some of these UFO inhabitants probably look like Chewbacca and we're like, it's Bigfoot, but it's not Bigfoot per se. But, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so that's how I, when you were, when you were talking about how they were like friendly and a little more sophisticated, Chewbacca is what popped in my head. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant too. Yeah. Okay. So now I could, I could lead on to the most dangerous project, which I'm, I'm not going to do, but this yeah. one I might actually, uh, I might, okay. I might do this experiment. But I will do it as a thought experiment. A thought experiment is that I will write a story, a very detailed story, and it's a story of what would happen if I did the experiment. So I would be conducting the paper in fiction, but I, you can still get results. I mean, thought experiments are very useful because they're very cheap, 
and they're not they're not very dangerous. I mean, they can be dangerous, I guess, but this is what the thought experiment is. Now, are you guys familiar with this area called Skinwalker Ranch? Yes. Yes. Okay. So for the people that don't know, Skinwalker Ranch, it is one ranch located in Utah. This ranch has had all kinds of paranormal activity reported, almost every kind of paranormal activity reported under the book. UFOs, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, cattle mutilations, orbs. I could go on forever. Now, Skinwalker Ranch is cool, but the thing is, it's only one ranch. The truth is that the entire basin has these properties. A basin is an area where it's a depression. It's like a bowl, like a huge bowl in the earth. Now, the Uinta Basin is very large. There's a military base there. There's, I think, two cities are there. There's suburbs. There's a McDonald's. There's a hotel. So the basin is a very large area. The whole area is haunted. It's not just a ranch. I mean, the ranch has very cool stories. And there was a lot of books written. There was two books written about it. And there was a movie made about it. But... And the, and the people who work in the ranch, they'll tell you, they'll be like, look, it's not just a ranch. Um, but scientists have worked there. And anyway, uh, recently a revelation came out about this area. Apparently, apparently, if you go to this area and you're, you have a negative intentions, if you're like ex-military and you're like really tough, you're like angry, aggressive, aggro, you got guns and stuff on you. Something will follow you home. Something will follow you home. So you, wherever you go to this area, because what happened was they hired, the scientists were working there, okay? There's this billionaire called Robert Bigelow who uh, opened up an organization called BASS to study the paranormal activity. And he hired some of the best scientists in the world. And I think during one of these times, they hired security. These They, they were exactly, like I said, they were ex-military, tough, tattooed, aggressive guys or girls with guns. But those individuals reported that something followed them home. When they got home, they said they saw like shadow people in their room, UFOs, uh, strange kind of wolf creatures, wolves. Hmm. Basically, the paranormal followed them home. And, and furthermore, this is very dangerous. The people had suffered a lot emotionally and physically. That's why I'm not going to do this. But here's the thing, though. I got excited with this idea because this is repeatability. This is repeatability. A lot of times the paranormal doesn't have control. Listen, if I want to do an experiment on something, I have to have control. I have to be able to catch an animal, uh, you know, uh, keep it in a cage or photograph it. I have to have control. You can't have control with a UFO. You don't have control with Bigfoot until now. Apparently, I, I could make the conditions where someone goes to this area Following the steps I said, they're super aggressive, a lot of guns, ex-military, they're very aggro, they go to this area, and then I have them go somewhere that I have specifically set aside. What I would do in my thought experiment is have them come home to a fake house. This house is actually a laboratory, a laboratory where I'm going to study the paranormal secretly, but it's all under disguise. Like Basically, what I would do is I would hire two actors. These would be actors not scientists. And I would tell them like, listen, um, this is, you know, I would, I would, I would put out a, uh, a casting call for a horror movie called Nightshade. Nightshade is the name of the project that I want to call it. So it's like, Hey, we're making this crazy horror movie called Nightshade. Uh, we're looking for a young couple. So I get all these people audition. Number one, 
I want it, I want it to be a horror movie because that weeds out the people that are kind of like sensitive, you know? Now, I want to find two people that actually have chemistry because they have to fool, they have to pretend like they're a couple. Mm. Because this is an experience. It's not a movie, it's an experiment. But at some point, you know, during the casting, I'll be like, listen, um, I gotta be careful how I word this, but I, I gotta be clear with them. I'll be like, listen, there's actually not a movie called Nightshade. There's a science experiment called Nightshade. And it's very dangerous. It's gonna take three years of your time and you may die. But we are gonna, we are gonna compensate you handsomely. Millions of dollars. Maybe I'll give you two million dollars for your work and you're gonna have like doctor credit as well. Don't forget the You'll have an IV. <laughs> I love it. Most important part. I love it. I love it. Now, some people may, they may be like, uh, they may be like, this, this experiment's going to cost millions of dollars and it's going to be three years long. Let me tell you something. Having worked in, in, in the science world, that is a very modest budget and that is a very modest timeline. A lot of big experiments take hundreds of millions of dollars. They take thousands of work hours Several years, a lot of different people. And yeah, I mean, so three years and let's say $10 million for discovering potentially time travel, potentially all these paranormal uh, things, that's a bargain. Mm. So yeah, so that's what, how the experiment would work. I would, I would, ha- I would have them because, because here's the thing. I think whatever this paranormal stuff is, I think it could probably travel through time. It could go in the past. It could go in the future. I think it has all these cool capabilities. So whatever is going to follow them home is going to be able to travel back in time and into the future. So I have to have this couple have a past that's a believable and a future. So what I would do is I would be like, I would pay them. I'd be like, okay, you're, you're hired for this experiment, Nightshade. What you're going to do is you're going to date for one year. That's all you, I want you to do. Just date for one year. After that one year, you're going to go to this house and you're going to live in the woods in a secluded area together. You're not going to leave the house. You're going to get all your deliveries or whatever. You're going to work from home. But then once you're in that house, after the first year, one of you is going to go out and get infected by the paranormal and bring it back to the house. Then the experiment starts with the monitoring. So then whenever this thing infects them, it could go into the past if it wants to. And it's going to see that they're just dating. It's not going to see any fitted, uh, funny business. <laughs> yeah. And then I also, the, the last thing is I have to plan a future. So I'm planning the past, which is you're going to date for a year. The present, which is you're going to live in this house and be affected by the paranormal. And the future is I'm, they're going to have to break up. They are going to have to break up. And I'm going to maybe have uh, an outside person come in, hire a third person, maybe a priest or something to come in. You know, they're going to have to come to peace with each other. And they're honestly going to have to reconcile any differences they have. These two actors. That's the only way I think this, this, this thing, this poltergeist or this, this whatever thing from, from Skinwalker Ranch that's the only way it will leave them permanently. But that's the experiment. And uh, as you can see, it's very unethical and it's very dangerous. So I wouldn't do it in real life. So the, it would end <laughs> by them breaking up, you think, would kind of would make the, the entities kind of leave too? Yeah. Okay. Because what I've read, a yeah. lot of times when people have weird paranormal stuff in their house, like shadow people, ghosts, poltergeist activity, a lot of times they have a lot of emotional turmoil in their life. Sometimes it's already there. Sometimes the poltergeist makes it worse. Now, I've also heard that, look, when you have these type of problems, there's not a lot of people you go to. You really can't call the police. So people end up going to a priest. Now, I've talked to priests who have dealt with case. I mean, I'm sorry, I haven't talked to. I've listened to priests who have solved these problems. And they always say the solution is finding inner peace for the people in the house. 
once you find that inner peace, then it's resolved. So I think this couple is probably, I mean, they're probably going to fight on their own. But once the poltergeist is introduced, it's going to cause so much stress. They're going to be put on edge. They're probably going to have a lot of other issues. And they're going to be real emotionally. Because I think whatever this paranormal stuff is, it probably feeds off of our energy and off of our emotions. Now, that's not too crazy of a thought. Because mm. the truth is, when you get stressed, when you get stressed, we, whether it be by you're scared or you're excited or you're happy or you're sad, whenever you get excited, you do produce more energy. I mean, your skin gets hotter. You start sweating. Your heart beats faster. I mean, there is more energy produced around you. Could it be that's what they're attracted to? I don't know, but that sounds... People have said that. Like Paul Eno, Paul and Ben Eno have a show, Beyond the Paranormal. It's on Rhode Island, and it's also on YouTube. They talk about an animal called a parasite, which to me sounds exactly like what's in Skinwalker Ranch. And it sounds exactly like a poltergeist. And it sounds like what follows people home. And they believe that these parasite creatures feed on, on negative emotions or feed on emotions. The thing is, I think, I think, I think they could feed on your positive emotions too. Like if you're really happy or you're really excited, they could feed on that too. But here's the problem. I think for humans, it's really hard to stay happy for a long time, but it's very easy to stay stressed for a long time. And if you're a weird creature, like if you're a weird poltergeist creature from Skinwalker Ranch, how are you going to make someone laugh? It's very hard for you to make someone happy, but it's very easy for you to make someone scared. So maybe they're like, hey, let me just scare this person instead. It also sounds like black-eyed children. I, I suspect black-eyed children just want to scare you because they want to get yeah. some kind of energy off of it. But yeah. Yeah. I'd hope that the, 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 when they leave, when they depart, that would be the tricky thing I'd think of would be like after they, if it doesn't, when they separate, if it doesn't leave as well, like that would be the pro- problematic thing, you know what I mean? Well, in, in the story, in the story or in the experiments, the yeah. people would be told that. They would be told beforehand. They'd be like, look, you're going to have to be away from your family for three years. You may die during those three years or you may get seriously injured, but you're going to get compensated handsomely. Yeah. Get, like I said, a million dollars, two million dollars. And also you're going to have um, med- all your medical expenses and all your mental health expenses are going to be covered for life. But, but this thing may never leave you. We don't know. This is, this is brand new pioneering research. This research has been done before. I mean, it's not just the atomic bomb. I mean, there was a, a, a very special individual who had to test, um, you know, those, you know, when there's a, a plane and there's an ejector seat that just throws you off. Yeah. Well, be- before they were invented, we didn't know how many velocity, how many G's, how much stress a person could take before they die. We didn't know that. So people volunteered to do that. And they, they discovered what it, they, they found what the number was. And because of that discovery, we saved lots of lives. But that was dangerous research. But it had to be done. And it was done. And those people got paid in a turkey sandwich. What a day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, more than likely they did to get paid in a turkey sandwich. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> that is horrifying. Uh, the, the People would sign up for that. If you were, like, in prison for the rest of your life and you were going to die in prison or get the electric chair or whatever, then I guess you would make the decision, okay, sure, let's take a gamble on this. But... I don't know how a regular person would just go. Right. Okay. Let's sign up. Let's let see what it takes before I die. <laughs> yeah, let's push it to That's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> but I with uh, if you're if you're talking about using an inmate that has a yeah. life sentence, that'd be that perfect. Think of, think of all the negative energy coming off that person. 
Right. That's true. That is very true. That's another, that's a very interesting aspect. Well, here's the other thing too, in the story, in the story, I'm not just going to have, look, in the, when the story is happening and I'm writing this experiment, I'm not just going to have one couple. I'm going to have multiple couples doing the same experiment at the same time because I want to yeah. maximize the results I get. So some of the couples may be like a lesbian couple. Some of them may be elderly. Some of them may be inmates, you know, like I want to get a lot of them to get the maximum results. I'm going mad scientist on this one, you know. All in. <laughs> I wonder what prisons, the, the type of energy prisons hold, because I'm sure they bring a lot of that, those attachments right in there and they just like fester. That's a fascinating point. Yeah, I want to start working. I want to start volunteering. As a scientist, I do some volunteer work with my organization. So I want to start working with prisons. And I'm fascinated to start talking to the guys. Be like, what is it like in there? Like, like, have you have? Do you, is there paranormal stuff that happens in the prison? I have to assume I'm some sure. stuff happens. Yeah, I'm sure. Imagine all the like the hatred, the the the, the fear, the sadness. People kill themselves. People get killed. The injustice, you know, there has to be some serious bad karma in those prisons, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm surprised 100%. there isn't footage of, like, full-blown demons walking the halls at night of prisons, you know what I mean? That's some scary shit. Exactly. Now, as a man of science, would you be one of those people that would, for a turkey sandwich, take that trip? <laughs> <laughs> would you to, to be able to say, okay, you're going to, your name. And in that case, in those cases, I'm sure those people, the test subjects like back in the day were just, their name was patient 17. You know what I mean? Right. Not like their name got to be known for that. It was more the doctors and stuff, but um, the scientists, but uh, would you, would you give your life for science? That's a good question. And, uh, I will tell you my answer. Uh, having conducted science experiments, having gotten funding, completed projects, I would do that, but only if I was in control of the experiment as well. I wouldn't do it if someone else was in control. I have to have the control of the experiment myself. I, in other words, I have to engineer it myself. But then I would do it, yeah. Well, then you fully believe in it at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're definitely gung-ho with it. Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, but if somebody were just to offer me a bunch of money for some study... At this point in my life, I wouldn't take it. It's like I'll just make my own study instead. <laughs> it's like Squid Games. It's like the future of Squid Game, Octopus Games. The, the other thing about paranormal, um, scientists and paranormal, I was going to mention this. Okay. Yeah. So we've all heard about, have you guys heard of the term paranormal hotspots? Yeah. Like it, I mentioned them before, the Uinta Basin. I believe the Hudson Valley in New York is a paranormal hotspot, and I believe the Big Thicket in Texas is a hotspot. Well, I think I've discovered something it's the opposite. It's a paranormal cold spots. These are areas where there is no paranormal activity. Hmm. So I think I found one at least now. And I think I understand why it's a cold spot. Now, I've done a lot of research in Colorado. And there's this little city called Gothic. Gothic, Colorado. Very badass name for a mountain city. So this is up, yeah. I think it's about 7,000 feet in elevation. It's surrounded by mountains in Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. And it's an abandoned mining town. It used to be a silver mining town, but now it's a biological research station. It's called the Rocky Mountain Biological Research Station. And every summer, it fills up with people from all over the world, and it's just like summer camp for nerds. We all do science experiments. Now, I'm really good friends with the director, and so I talk to the director a lot. I have dinners with him, and I'm like, hey, um, are there any like paranormal legends in this area, Bigfoot, anything? And he's an honest guy. He's like, no, I don't think so. And I believe him. Why do I think there's no paranormal stuff? Because there's so many sciences there. I think, mm. I think whatever it is, it's like, look, there's 
active researchers here all the time. If we do any weird stuff, they're going to research the shit out of us and they're going to discover us. No. So I, I kind of, I kind of think that's a hot, I think that's a cold spot. That's a paranormal cold spot. I bet schools are a hot spot too, like high schools, because you figure you got like the kid. It's broken up between cool kids and not so cool kids, and the uncool kids they're hating their life, and then the cool kids are in fear of being the uncool kids tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, there's a real lot of weird energy going around in those. And I get teachers get very weird too. I think some teachers are people that didn't have friends in school, so they return to school to have friends the second time around. So there's like a lot of weird energy, with the you know, and there's worse teachers that like the, you know, they like their, their, their special friends very young and they become teachers for that reason. So there's that dark energy too. Uh, but yeah, a lot of those weird establishments like that, that host a lot of people, I think with, you know, like you were saying before, there's more kind of, you know, it's easier to be sad or angry than it is to be happy all the time. You know, anywhere you, 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 you keep a lot of people and a lot of emotions, you're probably going to find a hot spot of that uh, probably negative energy. I was thinking another cold spot. This is a cold spot, not a hot spot. A paranormal yeah. activity is probably, probably Target, Target, Target uh, shopping centers. Yeah. They're so, they're so bright. Everybody in there is just like wanting to spend money and there's cameras everywhere. There's cameras looking everywhere. That's I just, true. When I go in there, I'm just like, I can't, I don't see a gray manifesting himself here. I don't see a go. I just don't, I don't know. Maybe there are reports of paranormal activity inside of Target. Walmart is another thing. Walmart, oh, I for sure see paranormal activity happening at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I had a demon sell me, uh, pay, pay for my shirt the other day. When I, I had to go through the line, there was a demon working there. It was interesting. Very cool, very cool. <laughs> the UFOs are in the electronics department. It's very nice. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Very organized. <laughs> you can just go pick one up. <laughs> I was waiting for that UFO. I was waiting for that, 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 that Walmart target comparison because at least <laughs> over here, it's like, it's the same exact thing, but targets like high class and Walmart's like poor people, which is like crazy, but that's like how people look at it. It's funny. No, it's true. <laughs> Bonus question. What do you think of Jurassic Park becoming a reality? Oh, okay, that's a good question. Let's see. Well, what I've heard is a lot of people are talking about... Well, first they're talking about the mammoths. So bringing back the mammoths, which I think they can do. They, they could basically do that because they have some mammoth DNA. Because luckily mm. for us, they froze themselves to death. <laughs> so we have the whole <laughs> corpse that's very considerate of them. Yeah. So the thought is that we could basically... First, we could get some of the DNA from a corpse because it's a little bit degraded. Well, that's an understatement. It's very degraded. <laughs> but we can mix it with like an Asian elephant and an African elephant. So that our first mammoth would be maybe like 10% mammoth, 20%. But we get up to 100%. Mm. So, so we can't de-extinct the animals. Dinosaurs, on the other hand, damn, I mean, the problem is time. It's been so long that I don't know if we could find any enough genetic material to you know what's weird though? You know, we actually have, did you know this? We actually have soft tissue, soft tissue of a T-Rex because they found out that if you, sometimes when you find a bone of a dinosaur, if you, if nobody, nobody used to do this, cause why would you do this? But if you dig, if you cut the bone in half inside, there was tissue in there preserved. Nobody did that for a long time because it's like, we don't want to break these bones, but somebody yeah. published a paper and they found soft tissue of a T-Rex. But the DNA was degraded. 
I mean, the tissue is still there, the shape and everything and the structure. But mm. that, you know, it's the difference between having a structure and then having the DNA. So I just don't know how we're going to overcome, for dinosaurs, I don't know how we're going to overcome the hurdle of getting fresh DNA. The only other thing I've heard is that we could go into a bird, you could get a bird like a chicken and start just messing with the, the gene, turning mm. things off and on until we make it a dinosaur. Because it is, you know, it's got all that stuff in it. It's got the history in it. Yeah. So I think Jack Horner, he's the scientist that was the inspiration for um, Alan Grant, the main scientist in Jurassic Park, the real life version of him. He's the one that thinks we could do this chicken thing where we turn off genes in the chicken and make it look like a dinosaur. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. That could be problematic, though. Yeah, that a lot of that stuff is problematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things when I get into paranormal research, one of the things I, one of the things that's guiding me is like, look, I don't want to make anything worse than it is. I don't want to conjure up anything and make the world a worse place. So another thing I want to do is number one, try to just help people that are suffering from paranormal stuff. So if I find like John, the guy that I'm doing the org project, if I can find somebody who's suffering, with paranormal research and if I could try to help them and if as a consequence of helping them, I learn something about the paranormal, then I feel, I feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. And some of my projects I want to do, I didn't mention, uh, there was like two I didn't mention, but another one was um, it seems like greys can paralyze us at will, you know, either have a little stick or a wand or they just do it telepathically. I hate that. That sucks. I want to try to devise a technology to prevent them. Wouldn't that be amazing if there was, if it was impossible for a gray alien to paralyze? You'd just be like, what? Yeah. What are you going to do? Because I've heard you could just punch him out. You could kill one by just punching him in the face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, problem yeah. is he paralyzes you, so you can't punch this little marshmallow face. I think it would be telepathic. I think it would be looking into the eyes. Maybe that's why their eyes are so big. This You just look into them and get lost. Yeah, children say that, you know, those children in Zimbabwe that saw the, the gray, they were like, it's eyes. It's really creepy video because they filmed the kids when they were still, they're adults now, but they filmed them when they were kids. They, the kids got this blank expression. The little kid, he's just like, the eyes, the eyes. I just kept looking at the, I couldn't stop looking. And then the children were like, I, I got the feeling that they wanted us. They wanted to take us. Very creepy. Very creepy. Like they wanted the kids. But you know, Bigfoot is said to really like children as well. Like Bigfoot is attracted to children playing stuff. I don't want to think any pedo things, but I mean, yeah. maybe they just like the sound of children playing. I mean, it is calming, I guess. I don't know. I think they look at them like a little dog or like a little cat or something. Cause they're like so a small. puppy. Yeah. Like yeah. A puppy. Yeah. They Cause like, I thought about, I, I thought about, cause I know that Bigfoot like children. So I thought about trading, you know, when I'm trading, giving gifts to Bigfoot, you know, I'm going to give him fine alcohol, fine, you know, drugs, pies, food. But I was like, well, what if I give him like dolls, like dolls of humans or like, uh, a picture book of children playing, just other stuff that it might like. Yeah. I think I think they're hip to know that when the humans turn adult is when they get their most wicked. Now you want to give them some nice, fine, top shelf liqueur with a with a with a little uh, a little something in there to find them, locate a little tracker in it, so they get ah. drunk and pass out. And then you go find them. I like how you think. You know, you need to be on my research team because you got good <laughs> ideas there, buddy. <laughs> I can get darker and say you can give them some smack with fentanyl in it, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that to the Bigfoots. That's not fair. <laughs> you find the Bigfoot all passed out in bed. Oh, it's all overdosed. Poor yeah. Bigfoot. 
an overdose victim. <laughs> and then people ask you, like, how'd you get the body? You're like, oh, next question. <laughs> It'd be well preserved, I hear, if he over over, goes out hard like that. <laughs> Poor Bigfoot. I'm also imagining you just a Bigfoot strung out with the needles to get out of his arm. He'll cut, that's how you get him to come to you. He'll be looking for the dealer. He'll be like, yo, I need more of that. These are dark ideas, but they're they're, they're darkly true, though. They're dark. I think there's truth to these things. I think it's possible. <laughs> it really is. Like you give it a good, a good enough time shooting his arm, dude. He'll come looking for it, like dealers do. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my god. You know, if I told you, if I told you some of the things humans have done to animals in experiments, it's just so cruel. We've we've learned a lot from them, but it's so cruel. I find it unsavory. I don't want to do that stuff. <laughs> But, Bigfoot shows up to your house with a, a grocery bag full of PlayStation 2 games trying to get some more medicine. <laughs> like, look, all right. I'll give you a hit, man. I mean, these are what is this, Madden 2004, whatever. <laughs> Who's the villain? Who's the villain at that point? You know what I mean? Humanity again. It's terrible. Oh, man. Getting, getting Bigfoot addicted to smack. <laughs> I almost want to make that the name of the episode, but we'll really throw people off with that one. <laughs> That'd be a good one, though. Getting Bigfoot addicted to smack. Getting Bigfoot addicted to apples or something. Pumpkin pie. Cyanide. Cyanide and apple seeds. If he eats, if he eats enough apple seeds, he'd go down. <laughs> Tricky. Yeah. That uh, that interview I did that got uh, all those streams, the guy had a really... One of the guys, Jay, he had a really close encounter with Bigfoot that lasted a long time and he said that he was upstairs um he was a little kid he was like 10 I think he's 50 now he was jumping up on a bed with his little friends in a two-story house in Ohio you know just a suburb you know there was like a Toys R Us and shit everywhere and um and he saw uh he saw a Bigfoot looking at them through the the screen door the second story screen door window and he said, first he smelled it. He smelled it terrible. It's like nothing else he's ever smelled. And he said he saw the Bigfoot looking through the screen glass, I mean, through the screen door window. And that he was like, he was looking at the kids playing. And he was like all happy. He was like lost in happiness. But then when he noticed that he was looking, he got angry. And then he jumped down and he ran into the forest. And then he went up outside and he saw where it had been standing on something to look over and they had broken it and he saw its footprints and it's all, they saw where it ran and everything. I mean, there was so much physical evidence, but they were just 10 year old kids. So they didn't really think about preserving Bigfoot. So ancient and like mysterious. I couldn't imagine like being eye to eye with what, with what I'd be horrified. Yeah. Some scary stuff. Yeah, I may do that. You know, I, I think I'm going to, right now, that forest I was talking about, it's about an hour and a half away from me. But I think I'm going to, I bought some property. I'm going to build the house. So I think yeah. I'm going to be about 40, I'm going to be about 40 minutes away from him. So not that far. So I may start just going down that road. And uh, it's a public road. Like I said, it's public land. Yeah. Go to the, go to the road where it was reported not too long ago. And then just find a little off, probably by the water, you know, because they just seem to travel through all wild, all wildlife travels through water. Yeah. Find a little corner, secluded, and just leave a bottle of uh, gin, the good gin. Yeah. Good gin. And then <laughs> some apples and, like, a little gift basket for them. That's your best bet. And GoPro, set up those GoPros big. This was a lot of fun, man. And we covered a lot. I had fun. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. That's what we like. <laughs> we thank you for coming on. You, you want to tell the folks one last time all the different places they can catch you? Yes. Okay. So, um... 
I'll say right now, I am going to beg people to, to please subscribe. Literally. Okay, so I'm going to try this because a lot of times people don't. So I'm like, okay, well, what if I just actually beg? Okay, so I am beg. I am form of wild trees is begging you. Please. I beg you. <laughs> Go to YouTube. Type in Biologist Wild Trees and subscribe. Type in Black Lotus Productions and subscribe. And then go to Facebook and go to facebook.com forward slash the T-H-E dot M-O-S-S moss dot piglet. Facebook.com forward slash the dot moss dot piglet. I am begging officially. Please do these things. <laughs> We're begging with him. He's a good man. Support this guy for sure. He's Thank smart. You. One of the best guests we've had. It was a lot of fun. I thank you again. You ever want to come back on the show, you're always welcome here. And we'll, okay, cool. uh, well, I'm always ready. So just invite me next time. We'll give it some breathing right. room, I guess. But just invite me. I'll come back. Catch up. Hell yeah. Oh, That's that sounds like. good. Hell yeah. So go support him. And with that being said, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. Ghostly.